RMS ポッドキャストへようこそさあ始めよう Welcome to Soul to Sing. I'm Andy Cooper from RMS Motoring. I'm Craig Allen. And I'm Gary Riley. In this week's show, we talked to Chris Gray of A86 World. And now, if you don't know Chris, let me whet your appetite. This is a guy who moved to Japan from Northern Ireland. And whilst out there, started what is now a worldwide brand that supports owners of the iconic rear wheel drive 1980s Toyota Corollas, Twin Cams. When we first penned this episode about Chris and everything A86, we weren't prepared for the news about the sad passing of Davy the Boffin Hollinger last week. Davy was one of those rock star guys in the car scene when I first started to get into it properly, particularly being from Bangor. There were a few back then, you just known for their cars they drove and the antics they got up to, and he was one of them. As you all know, I'm not the biggest fan of the twin cam in general, but the yellow lady stood head and shoulders above every other. And despite my hatred for them, it always held a special place in my heart for A, the color, B, the wide arch TRD kit, and C, it had a supercharger. A quiet, mild-mannered person who loved a bit of a chat about anything and everything related, car-related. I'll do that again. A quiet, mild-mannered person who loved a bit of chat about anything and everything car-related any time we spoke transformed into a quiet, mild-mannered, diffing and drifting lunatic from behind the wheel of his beloved twin cam. If you're in the modified scene in Northern Ireland at that time, there was a very good chance that Holly's thrown a few hoops around you in a car park somewhere, supercharger whining inches from your legs, stoic face driver making it look like the most natural thing in the world. The car scene as a whole is worse off with his passing, and hopefully at some point we can get his brother Steve in the podcast and talk more about him. Wherever he is, I hope there's a cone and plenty of tires. After today, I have reduced my level of hatred from the A86 from a 9 to a 6. So you're still not bad one then? Uh, <laughs> You know what? It, it may have just been what was going on today, but I think I nearly got it. I think maybe give it give it time. It'll come to you. Any A eighty six we've seen over the last load of years, the ones that go to the show or not the shows, the one that goes to the cruises and stuff, and they're all ripped to bits and they're badly painted and they're raking the balls off them. That's not what was there today. That what was there today was different. There were. It's a different car, different machine. There was what 35, 40,000 pound twin cams there today. And it's just, it was, yeah, it was incredible. So I, th- I think I get it. I think, it, I think, hmm. you know, <laughs> I think I get it. Oh, you're right, though. He was just a brilliant guy. He was the sort of guy who any event I ever went to, he would always have made a point of coming over and saying hello and having a chat and, uh, just got on like a house on fire sort of guy you could just pick up with him anywhere after yeah. years. Totally. I hadn't seen Davy in a few years, but at one time it was a, a weekly occurrence to have a chat with him at any one of the tens and hundreds of events that we used to attend uh, both locally and further afield. You know, his cruises, there was track race, there were shows, and he was always at them. Um, I first spotted as a scroll of GT at a show in Bangor when everyone else was sticking with the tried and tested twin cam formula of typically a two-tone collar job, lowered jam speed super lights, which no disrespect intended. That's a formula that works very well. But his was notably different. Yellow, supercharged, white arched. Looked like a twin cam on steroids, like it was built for racing. 
maybe not the purest approach, but it was very much his approach. And that's some ways, some ways to his attitude towards modifying, which was really to do his own thing and not to emulate. And the quality of everything he built was impeccable. My bed in the memory of him is just that he was a very approachable, friendly, relaxed guy who was totally 100% infused by the car scene. And he was never there to show off, even though his car was somewhat of a, a local hero car. And he could easily revel in the compliments all day long. He was there because he loved cars and being around others who loved cars. And whilst twin cams were clearly his passion, he would give his time to talk to anyone, no matter if you were in a 250,000 pound car or 250 pound car. So it's all in all, it's a sad loss to the entire motoring community here in Northern Ireland. And uh, thoughts very much with his family. Here, here, very, very uh, sad day, but uh, also an unbelievable day today. We posted up some pictures on Instagram earlier of all the cars that uh, uh, turned out. It was just unbelievable. And uh, anyway, it just shows the uh, the esteem of Selden. Uh, yeah, those guys from those guys from all over Ireland appeared. You could hear you could hear yeah. the accents and the the distance people travelled for what was. I don't know, only an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. And then I presume they all just went their, their separate ways back home. That, that kind of shows you. I mean, if, if you're going to go out, that shows that shows what effect he had on that entire community, that people are willing to go. Yeah, very much so. Something happened to Davy Hollinger, right? Okay, yeah, I'll be there. It was a very, it was a strange, isn't strange isn't the right word, but the sight of 30-odd Corollas, Coming into the the grave the grave site, it was just. And Davy's not being one of them. Yeah, totally. He'd be front and center usually. We were we were saying that it was like it was just like oh we had to work today or something you know. If not for the, you know the fact that it was such a sad occasion, it would almost take you back to when you used to see lots of crawlers piling into the cruises that Davy would have been at. Guy, do you know what happened? We were driving out, and a couple of kids drove past us, and. The one the window down and says, Hey, yeah, we spotted you in the convoy. Are the twin cams still here? Are the twin cams still here? Because there you go. at 18, they'd probably never even seen a twin cam in real life. Yeah, that's a classic card, then. They, that's a, that's yeah. a unicorn. And here, all of a sudden, for unfortunate reasons, there was 30 of them cruising through Bangor again, like it was the, yeah. the 90s. Sad, very sad. I think we would like to talk to Davy's brother Stevie and a few other people about um, about the guy, and we'll maybe do something in, in a later show if if uh, if it's appropriate. So we'll, we'll uh, come back to it because we have a great show lined up uh, today with uh, Chris Gray joining us shortly. And for the next show, I'll talk a bit more about the GT4. I drove an A12 super fast, so that's all to come on the next show but now on to Chris Chris like you've spent several years in a vastly different culture in your own experiencing a life that just many of us wouldn't consider normal um, but then you left Lurgan and moved to Japan right? <laughs> true true <laughs> vastly sorry, sorry slightly different places I suppose <laughs> when I went to Japan you know people barely had internet on their phones you know <laughs> you were running around with a pay and go phone and just the other day before we we started this and i was getting a few things ready i found my old my old folder with directions to tuning shops you know that you had you'd worked out on on google maps you know what was the nearest train station and 
how many miles to walk after that or where to get a taxi from. Now, now it's just, you know, Google Maps and arrive at the door. So exactly. So but not only did you do that, you went live there, you worked there and and you you know you were sort of rubbing shoulders with with all these names of companies that I've bought bits and pieces of parts for my various pieces of uh, Jap cars that I've had over the last lot of years. You've, you've probably been to nearly all those places and maybe and probably know the people that work in them. And that's just absolutely, yeah. uh, absolutely mind blowing. But anyway, start. let's start at the start. So The start of here, I suppose, was start off here. What I mean, oh, the love of cars. Well, then we're going way back. I mean, that's that's my dad. My dad is, uh, he's he was a car nut. He built uh, the typical Ford head, you know, Ford Capris, Ford Escorts, Minis, all the usual sort of stuff here. So he used to go to classic shows. Uh, he had a 2.8i special and then a three liter Brooklyn Capri. So from you write a pants, you know, head in the nappies and in the pants, you were able to go out and without him having to do any any worrying about toilet runs and all that. So no, we used to go to plenty of shows from from four or five years old. Um then I specifically remember that growing up then he, he had a real interest then in in the British touring cars. It was at his peak, you know, really then the touring car series and then that's when you you got a first glimpse in watching touring cars and stuff of the 32 gtr scaling and then i remember i don't know i've only been i've been nine or ten years old and i went to Waringstown, you know the vintage car show in Waringstown. the cav- cavalcade or and yeah, yeah. And we used to we're only a few miles from it at the time so we used to he took a wee mini out and parked it up and i seen or i should have said i heard this bright blue baby blue 32 gtr skyline and i would have been nine or ten years old and i just seen it and that this thing was like nothing else around and a lot of people were like what the hell is that you know what's this you know back then it was the fords and the sierras and cosworths and i was just fixated with this thing you know this this unheard of car and then from then uh, that's when it really peaked um Mm -hmm. watching the the japanese touring cars then from 11, 12 years old, like, you know, you were, you were interested in it and dad was interested in it. So that's, that was it. You were hooked. You were hooked from day one. Uh, just went against the grain. You know, a lot of people, that generation went on and into the, the Euro stuff and the Volkswagens and uh, which was the thing to do in the 90s. But no, dad went on then on, into the Toyotas, Datsuns. And, and that was, <laughs> that was a, a one-way road, really, from then, really. But I'll never forget, that's my first real memory of a, proper Japanese car was seeing that 32 scaling um I, I just wonder where the hell it is today like <laughs> it's long long gone I'd say unbelievable unbelievable and those, those were the, like so you're talking mid late 90s like when we were, oh, yeah. we were starting to get things like uh first generation PlayStation and Gran Turismo the very start yeah that, that was it that's like anybody then you grew up in PlayStation mode and Doing the races, driving the tracks, Suzuka and Fuji and Tsukuba, and you think this is great. And I, I was just fixated with it. And you know, at that it was the cars at that age was fixated. And then obviously the cruising boom here really peaked, and the, the Jap stuff started to come in. You know, everything was Civic mad. The dream then was to have an EF, an EF Civic, uh, you know, and uh, get the driver license and get on the road. But back then, as you know, you just there was no one sure in an EF Civic. <laughs> it, was, it was the one car nobody would even answer the phone to it was uh, it was impossible so that that dream went but um that's just followed then the brother then he he had a civic 
so uh that's when you fast forward into your your teens then so i went to the all the cruises and shows with the lurgan maxer right, lurgan maxer an old order message the name i haven't heard in a uh, long time so from from even that age you know obviously you know with that and then when when Paisley, the brother got on the road you were just uh obsessed you were and, and it was at its peak then you know it, back then it was it was racing and on drag racing and drifting and cruising um to be involved in it from then when you look back now it was it was lucky because people that age now you know they're more interested in what phone they're getting next or any or any of that you know or or just going out with their mates but i was just fixated with cars the noise the sound the smells the rubber <laughs> you know it was it was uh at its peak then like the cruising so i got involved then locally with I suppose i was on rms the first memory of rms was uh i remember seeing cooper big celebrity at the time in 2000 and what two, <laughs> 2002 or three at um fire and ice akadui akadui so i'd have, I'd have yeah i'd have been what 16 um back then so that was the very start of it really when it really started and then the local guys here set up a just cruising website so i used to write and do a bit of reporting for it and hang out with the guys like you know to try get on the road and then no oh, that was really it but uh, once i got on the road I suppose the cruising scene was starting to slow down here. Rocco would know with a couple more years uh, left in Bangor. And, maybe drag and that a was about it. And then it really, it really slowed. But uh, once I got to 18, 19, there was only, only one place to go. Like I said, I had to go to Japan. Uh, I wasn't allowed to go before that. Like, I just wasn't allowed to go. It was unheard of back then to, to you know, 16, 17, jump on a plane and go the other side of the world. Like it's, Did you just take uh, off? I just went <laughs> just, with a with a plan or just right, uh, well I had a bit of persuading I had a, a lot I had a lot of persuading a lot of persuading before I got, really got the go ahead from the the folks to, to to go for it but I'd done years of research from from school time like um years of research mapping working out the shops their addresses translating all their addresses you know because that's what you had to do if you wanted to go somewhere you had to you had to work out where how to get to the nearest train station how to get in a taxi how to ask them take me to this tuning shop uh but now you know google maps will just take you to the door which is which is, i suppose that's just technology but you know i was doing that that sort of thing you know 15 years before people were doing it here like so what age for you then chris 18 18 jumped on the I, and i've never been well i've been to this i've been to a couple of places and i've been plenty in europe but i mean i've never been 12 hour flight or 14 hour flight away on my own the other side of the world no it, it was it was it was planned but it was kind of unexpected to to actually just go by myself i always planned on heading heading with friends or heading with family you know that, that far but it, obviously along the line you know that just says i'm gonna have to go you know there's only there's only there's only one thing on your mind so it says just get the flight uh Booked it, booked the hotel, got a Japan rail pass, and just said, "Look, fuck this time, I'm going to go for it for for two weeks." And um, I arrived in. I remember it was surreal. You know, getting getting to the airport, you know, was was fine, but I mean, when he got on the plane, the second flight after London, and you'd never been surrounded by that many Asian and Japanese people, and I was like starting to starting to sink in here where I'm going. You know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to Belfast, and the uh, just the, f- the flight everybody sleeping dozing away but i was wide awake i down to red bull before <laughs> and uh, it's wide awake buzzing ready to go and i got off the plane the other side and 
I'll, I'll never forget the humidity. Just I went in the summer like an idiot. And I'll never forget the humidity when the, the plane door opened and I got off and I thought, fuck, this is, this place is just, you know, felt like, like a desert or something. So it was so warm and you were buzzing just on adrenaline. Just get to the airport, got through immigration, all that. And then you're at the train station and you realize, shit, <laughs> you know. I'm in Japan. You know, this, uh, how do you buy a ticket? <laughs> Hi. All that sort of this stuff. Is, this is what, mid-2000s, you don't have a smartphone. Yeah. No, no. I'd rent, I'd rented a phone back then, the thing to do before even dual SIM and all came along, you know, you used to go to the airport and rent the prepaid phone uh, for like a 10 or 20 quid a week. And it was enough. In Japan, they don't have a tax system. They, you have an email and an email address. So we would call it tax and they call it email. So that's all you had. You had an email address and a phone number and you just had to go for it. Like, you know, with my 200 pages of folder of directions. You know, now all you need is a, a mobile. And there, on, on your own, no one else to help you. No one around. I, that's when it hit. It, it hit whenever I, I got the, I worked out, had to buy the train tickets, got to the hotel. And then I just says, you know what? I can't sleep. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just heading out. So I just started going out, wandering around, just taking it all in. It's it's just surreal. It, nothing can prepare you for it. But um, it, the place just, buzzes you know so much life and so much lights everywhere noise so much bustle you know there's there's nowhere that i've ever been since that compares to it like it's and i stayed right in right in tokyo on the first night and i'll never forget then about 12 o'clock just opening the curtain you know in the hotel room and looking out and it's just just like stars you know it's just buildings for hundreds and hundreds of miles and lights and it's uh you felt pretty small is, is all I can all I can say. You know, you realize just how big that place is. So, so you just turned 18. Mm-hmm. You're a huge fan of Japanese cars and car culture and you're you're learning at a distance and, and, and was it a case of just freak this I don't know what to do in my life, but this feels like what I want to do. Was it literally yeah. as, as simple as that? And you just There was one one thing on one thing on my mind. I mean, a couple of years before I had uh I just had a real, real bad uh, dose of flu and all, and sick and all that. And I just said, look, it got me down for about a year. And then I said, that was the goal. And I said, now's the time. And I said, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. But it was, uh, it was just one, one thing on your mind. It, it had to be done. I suppose it was yeah. a, a bucket list kind of thing. And I kind of got the feeling that there was nobody else that's going to go with me. So I said, look, I'm going to have to go myself. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was as simple as that. And, I had researched into, you know, five or six proper tuning shops who I had to go and see. I've gone that far. I said, this is who I want to see. It was, you know, top secret trial, signal auto, fail site, stuff like that. I said, if I see them and I get to one or two events, I'll be happy. And it was just two, not exaggerating. It was two weeks, 24 seven cars. I mean, I think the only time we slept was the plane home. Unbelievable. You know, it was just, Go go go! Try and I probably burnt myself out because I crammed that much into two weeks. That are you know compared to you know other trips and time after, you know it was just two weeks of of chaos. Unbelievable. Well, but two weeks somewhere doesn't mean if I go to Spain for two weeks, I don't feel like I want to go and live in Barcelona. No, well that's that's where it goes. I mean, once once I came back, I'll, I'll be after the two weeks. I was that tired, you know, from traveling, doing all the events, up all night. 
they were drifting mountains, all sorts, you know, racing. You know, you got to see everything that you could have dreamt of seeing. And I got to the airport and I was exhausted after and I slept <laughs> I slept the whole way home. And I never sleep in planes. I slept the whole way home. And as soon as I got to to London, I was just I just wanted to get home. And when I got to Dublin and got up the road, as soon as I came in and put the case down, I just said, I want to go back. You know, that's it was it was clear, so clear. I said, I have to go back, you know, and uh, places don't really have that effect. You know, you can, you can go to the States and you have a great time. You go to Vegas, you know, you go to anywhere and, you, you know, you get you get your holiday. But I don't know. There was just that buzz and that connection that said, I need to see more. You know, that, you know, it's, it was a, it was a drug, you know, I just I had there was so much more to see. It was the peak. I mean, as you know, then too over over here, especially now, the the job scene was really starting to peak. Then, you know, there was imports coming in. There was boatloads of cars coming into Dublin, and I said, I want to be at the heart of it. I want to be where where it's happening before it gets here. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So you're back home. You just had this mind blowing trip. Mm-hmm. You want you want to go back, but. Did you know it? I was broke. <laughs> you knew you wanted to go back, but did you want to go back at that stage? You were thinking, right, I'm 18, like, oh, I'd like to go back next next year for a holiday? Because that's the way I would think. Like, oh, I, really, I really like going there. I'll go, back, I'll go back next year. But obviously. No, I, w- I wanted to go back sooner than definitely, Cooper. I wanted to go back within six months. Yeah. But it was just, just couldn't be done money wise. And then you had to finish college and all that. And I said, look, get, I was in an art course and I said, I'll get it done and then I'll go back. So I took it all year. I went back out then for like four weeks. And then that was when you're really starting to see more. You know, you were, it wasn't just as crammed. You know, it wasn't just go, go, go 24 seven. Don't sleep. Just go to the next car place, the next car, meet the next show. It was sort of plan it out, appreciate it more. And then take a day's break, go to some cultural place, go to a nice sightseeing place. And it was, it was the second or third, you know, was far more enjoyable. And then I suppose that's when you connected culturally, you know, you connected more culture and more with the, the lifestyle and, and, the, and the way of life and, and the food and all that, you know, everything sort of clicked more than just two weeks of madness. And then when I come back then for the last time, I said, look, I'm going to have to go and go and live there. <laughs> so there's two things I want to ask you already. Was, and, uh, the, the second one is the, the culture and, and getting that. But the first thing is, so we, you've been over a couple of times. So t- yeah, so make us really jealous here as some of the stuff. So, I presume you went to see uh, D1 drifting, absolutely. What, yeah, what yeah. did you go to? Uh, there's an event every week, there's, I'm not exaggerating. That's the, the, the thing to do back then was you used to pick up a, a magazine in the bookstore, just Dory 10, they call it Drift Tengaku magazine or an option magazine. And there's one for every that comes out every month, but they scatter them like every two weeks. So come out and then there's a calendar in the back of it and not exaggerating there's an event on every single day in every single town every single racetrack it, it just from a car point of view it doesn't stop ever uh there, there's not a day goes by so you just the, the d1 was great great for the very first time when i went to suzuka and um hadn't been to that big a circuit before you know like suzuka circuit is it's huge and fuji is just it's like nothing here or, or even in England, you know, the Silverstone is a big circuit and a big complex. Mm-hmm. Well, Suzuka is something else, you know, it's just not plus with the Formula One. It's it's just a real special, special place. 
So we ended up, uh, I went in with a friend to the Saturday, to the day one practice and the qualifying. And it was so late for Sunday. I was like, fuck this. I booked the hotel and everything. And I said, I, I need a ticket for the Sunday. And I got lucky then. I met up with uh, Shino Kuba, an 86 garage. And it's run by a woman, Shino. She's a, she's a badass drifter as well. And she met me outside Suzuka and said, look, I can get you tickets. You know, don't be going home tonight. And I was like, right, great. How can you go and do that? So she met me then the next morning at six o'clock in the morning with uh, passes for the Sunday, VIP pass, uh, pit pass, everything. And she says, uh, just enjoy enjoy the event, enjoy the day. But to see, like, you'd been drifting probably in around that time as well. But to see the D1 drivers in Japan was, was something else. Like, you know, and Suzuka's a fast circuit where they come through the S-Bend. Yeah. And I remember specifically, like, Kuroi, uh, he, he had a yellow S13 with an RB26 in it. And I'll never forget the noise of it coming over the crest, just just screaming RB26 coming down and smoke. And I said, look, that's, that's drifting up a different level. And, you know, it was, it was, it was brilliant. I'd seen the D1, you know, at Silverstone. Um, and I'd seen uh, just our, our own locals. But to see Japanese drivers on, on a Japanese circuit, with a Japanese crowd was, it was, it was great. And, and I, it's like you said, you know, people weren't doing it as much back then. And, you know, I looked around and there would have been a handful of foreigners at that event, you know, 20,000 Japanese at it. But I was lucky. I was very lucky to see the, see the Sunday, like especially I did. But every day there's events. I mean, every circuit you go to, like Scuba, there's an event every single day. Nico's is the same. All those circuits, the BC circuit, they're all, um, they're all packed every day. How, how does someone who has went from Lurgan to Japan a couple of times suddenly wind up getting tickets for a drift event? It's just one of them countries. This thing culturally, um, like I was talking funny, I was talking to Murph about uh, shows and all here, and he was saying about how we, we blagged our way into autosport one time and got a VIP access and stuff like it, but I agree. Like the other side of the world is uh, language barriers, cultural. You know, they they don't have to do anything for for someone. You know, they could just turn around and say, "Look, I don't speak any English. Go on about your business." But there, it's just that type of place where they feel they have, they want to help you. They they want to they want to be involved. They, they don't want you turning away, walking to the train station. They say, "Look, if I can do something here, I'll do it." You know that that is the cultural end of it. And she actually ran around all the other garages, you know, who, who had D1 cars in the pits and said, look, who's got a spare pit pass? And she went and got three of us then for me and, and two friends for, for the Sunday. And, you know, there's guys out there can't get can't get here on Sunday. And they're like, well, take mine. I'll get another one or my mate's not going tomorrow. Take it. So out of like 20 or 30 strangers, really, you know, they, they, they didn't have to do it. But it just kind of that's when the culture end of it really hit me, just how how helpful and kind the people are. And, and were they could they speak a bit, a bit of English? Were you trying your best Japanese? No, she, there... she spoke fairly good English. Like I tried my Japanese back then was pretty shit. <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it was it, it's, it's less shit. It's <laughs> no, it's it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's um, it's uh, Who's your Japanese now? Kind of just got to the stage where you know from living and all after all this you know with it, it just being surrounded right, by it 24 class. 7 and 
wife and kids and family and work and everything was just uh, you just find yourself speaking more of it reading and writing's pretty difficult Chris, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to hear some japanese with a lurking accent i'm sorry <laughs> what do you want me to say <laughs> oh just just rock out just whatever you want uh konnichiwa roku-san hajimemashite yoroshiku onegaishimasu welcome to the soul to scene podcast we'll have to get that in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's pretty much it that's like welcome how's it going mr rockwell um but yeah language wise it was good that's like that's very that's a very good thing a very good thing you did yeah you can speak 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 enough i can speak enough. You, you, you picked it up i mean it, it got to the stage then you know you've done your trips it was great you've had your fun and then the longer you stay in there the cars took a back seat you know you you got it out of your system if if you if you get me you know you you done your real blowout of a couple of weeks uh, you've done all your events and then it got to the stage where i used to go to the car things a couple of days and then two or three days just sightseeing and from a from a country with you take the cars out of it it's a fascinating country i mean the shrines and temples sightseeing the cities you know you could you could go to tokyo a million times and you'll still find something new like it's it's just one of them places i can't explain the scale of the place or the size of the place is just un- unbelievable once i moved out i said i'll i want like a working holiday so i spent you know trying to work as much as i could and teaching and, and shit on the side and then i just wanted to travel so i traveled at north the whole way north to south all the way up to hokkaido is the very very top it's actually near russia so it's quite cold and kind of countryside, a wee bit more like more like here. And then I went all the way down through Tokyo, Yokohama, and all the way across over to Hiroshima. And Hiroshima, from a history point of view, is it's an emotional place. I'm sure it's uh, it's totally different. But it's one of them places that yeah, I, I just had to, I had to see, I had to be there and and experience it. Like, but I agree, history wise, it's it's not that long ago, really. You know, after the war and and atomic bombs and all and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's not that long. It, it's one of them countries that built up so quick. But when you think of what they've done on the car end, the car industry and the technology industry in such a short time, it's unbelievable. And it always reminds me of uh, uh, Back to the Future, where uh, Marty was saying about his uh, video recorders that was made in mm. Japan, a 1955 yeah. doc. It's like, Japan? Yeah. and he's like, yeah, all the best stuff's made in Japan. All the best stuff back then, all the cameras. That was the peak. You know, Japan, I suppose, going off the cars, but we're talking culture and you learn from from the older generation. I mean, they all, they, they swear by the old, the 1950s and 60s cameras. You know, they, they, they copied the, the Germans and basically made it better was their words. And the, 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 all the, like even, you know, grandparents and stuff that I would talk to and stuff here, like they the, talked about their cameras, how good they were back then and, they still run around using these 1950s cameras. It's just, which is fascinating. I, I also really love the, the early. What, what was the what was the original Honda uh, sports car that the S2000 was sort of? The... Yeah, 600. Yeah. yeah, just you know that sort of uh, stuff. Was that in, in uh, one of the bonds? Was it in You Only Live Twice or something like that? There, so, or uh, it wasn't one of the bonds, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and the uh, the Toyota GT was it was it as well? Was it the Bond? Yeah, 
yeah million dollar car now like it's it's just it's crazy how they've gone it's definitely oh, is. Right. but that's whenever you know that's when you start delving deep into it i mean you know you, you, your big events then was tokyo auto salon you know it was the big one you went to you, instead of once or twice a week going to tracks and going to drift days you went like sort of once a week and then you fall into the trap then of, of living there <laughs> and then you're you're working you, you, you know it's diff- once you've been there a year it's a different different place you know you, you have to get into society and the i suppose the honeymoon period is gone if that makes when, sense when did the long holiday suddenly move into right i can get a bit of work here and what was that work and how did that all how did that all happen like that just seems it's such an an alien thing yeah once once you really it's not that you got everything out of your system. You, you've done enough. You know, you'd satisfied yourself. You've been to enough events. You've been to Formula One. You've been to Day One Drifting. You've been around plenty of tuning shops. There's only so long you can do it before you say, look, if you want to live here, you kind of have to take the next step. So I ended up going back to Trial in Osaka. It was a tuning shop. Pretty pretty big tuning shop by that standards there. And they were... Um, starting to get cars ready for export. It was starting to peak then. And uh, I've kind of got real friendly with one of the guys, Yuichi there, and I bought a R32 and then I sold it. And he's like, how much did you sell it for? And I was like, well, told him the price. And he was right. He says, well, we're starting to export here. Yeah, it was really peaking. And he says, you know, we need someone here who can do Europe. And he says, do you want to come work a few days? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he says, of course. Yeah. So uh, I went in to work with him he spoke perfect English. He lived in the States for a few years and uh, made it a whole lot easier. And so they were tuning the cars. All I had to really do was advertise and get them ready for export and do the paperwork, find, find a buyer, basically. So I stayed there for about a year, exporting mostly to here, to Dublin and uh, England. Sitting, living in Japan, exporting all the stuff that you've dreamt. Yeah, that was that was the dream. That was the dream, and and I was at the stage then where you know you had bought cars at auction and the keys were just thrown to you, and you could drive drive them around uh, Osaka for six months and then then get it ready for export, which was it was just unreal. Like you know, and then I bought a thirty two. I was leaving after about ten or eleven months. I was getting ready to leave because I wanted to move up to Yokohama, and I said I'll buy the thirty two, and he's like. No, no, no. Well, we're going to sell the demo car. And I'm like, what, the gray demo, the gray demo or 32 Skyline? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, I'll buy it. So I bought it. And it's, it was a different level car. I mean, I've had loads of cars, you know, for a couple of weeks and a few months here and there. But to own, to own it was a different, different level. That thing had been built from top to bottom. It was there. Every nut and bolt was on it. Every suspension arm was Nismo. It was a Tomei engine in it. It was different level of car and probably should have freaking kept it but it is what it is but it i drove it for about six months and then this chicane you know they like the mot was expired so I exported it brought it to here and then i actually put it on the road here and drove it for a few months but it was a pig to drive on irish roads like it was an absolute neighbor so sold it and then i said right go again so i started exporting directly here myself you know to to double uh corollas 180s selvias all the all the big stuff you were buying them for silly money back then like i, I could scare you with prices <laughs> like you know you, you were buying cars for a couple of thousand pound like and they were they were doubling here and you thought this was great but the prices of the now is a different level 
oh, at, at this, the price of stuff at the moment is just absolutely uh, phenomenal. But right, give, give us a list. Really second us. What 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 mm-hmm. what's some of the stuff that's been through your hands that you is just like gold dust now? Oh, gold dust. Well, well, the 86s aren't gold dust, but I mean, I've had a couple of them over the years. And then the one that got away was a DC2 Integra. White DC2. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love another DC2 Integra. The 32 Skyline. It was a great car for what it was, but it, it, it wasn't ideal for for anything other than track. Mm-hmm. Um, and any Blue Mitsubishi Evo 6, White Evo 4, yeah. EK9s. CRX is sort of cap, uh, black S14 Sylvia's, white S15 Sylvia. I'm trying to think what else I've had. Um, the black one 80SX was the other big demo. It was a Signal Auto car. Um, good story behind it that they'd actually built an S14 for Tokyo's Auto Salon and then took it to Drift Day the week after Auto Salon and fucking wrecked it. <laughs> it just wrote it off. So they bought a 180SX and they swapped everything over to it and they took it to the shows the following year. And then I bought it from Signal and brought it back to here. And then when I come back here for about a year, I, I drove it here and it was it was a stunning car. Like I probably should have kept them all, but you don't know back then, you know, uh, the idea too was business. So sold it. Uh, then the 86, I had a red and black 86 as well. And then I have my own and I still have an EF Civic. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Everything else in between was sort of. From that time, were you just jumping back and forth from? No, well, Japan after I'd done that year, I come back here again for about six months, and then that was me. I had to go back because I'd finished the the working holiday with them, and uh, trial was starting to slow down. That was the start of it. I noticed they were starting to slow down the exporting, and here was still booming. Apparently, you know, here was still at its peak. So what? But then I come back. Funny, jump straight to it. I come back and uh, I was in, I was in Bangor a couple of weeks after I came back, and it was I got out of the car and I was wearing a I was wearing a Velsey t-shirt. I can't even remember what year it was, but it was it was starting to slow down dramatically in the crazy. And some guy said to me, he "says you know what the hell Velsey?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, it's just, and uh, that was the ultimate culture shock coming back home. And I said, that, that was the cue then to go. So once we went, you know, we only stayed six months and moved back then for, what, five years? Like it's, uh, but um, trial had finished, so I couldn't work for them anymore. I exported a little bit myself, but then I had to go into the old cliche of teaching, teaching English. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. It's, it's either work in a bar or teach English. That's the, or work with cars. So done it, done my grind, and then set up the AUD6 world on the side. Then by 2010, I think it was, 2009, end of 2009, starting 2010. And uh, started off just exporting to guys in O, just exporting parts instead of cars, because the cars were drying up and people were blowing them up. So <laughs> exporting um, engines, exporting all the parts back to here. And then it just snowballed. I started the whole website, the social media end of it. And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and out of control. That's unbelievable. So that sort of started off with you had you had you'd been your first couple of trips, then you'd had your working holiday and you were working for a tuner mm-hmm. that and you were uh exporting cars and then back home and then back out again and you were and you weren't yeah. doing that and you obviously were like oh. Yeah. Well once I went back out that time for good. 
I just kind of got the feeling things have really slowed. You know, it was really obvious even from the moment you got off the plane, there was a real economic crash. And, that was an uh, effect of the uh, recession. Yeah, and it was probably a bad move. Well, not a regret going, but I mean, it was it wasn't as fun as the first couple of years, and it, it was a struggle. It, well, that was the thing. It was a struggle, and you had to, you had to teach, you know, just to to get mm-hmm. by. And it was it was frustrating and it wasn't fun. And that's when I said, look, I'm going to have to set up the, the car end of it here again myself. And just instead of doing cars, done the parts. Got a, I got lucky, got real good with it. Um, built it up as good as I could. And then that was it, really, just as high as I could. I was still enjoying, you know, society, still enjoying culture, still enjoying plenty of traveling around. And then, uh, yeah, earthquake, earthquake, I suppose, is the, the next chapter. It hit, yeah. yeah. Once, once it hit, we were we were screwed. Then the whole place just totally changed. Uh, the whole mood changed. Just, just the stuff like that. Yeah, there was nobody. Nobody wanted to do anything. It was it was it was not the Japan that I remember. You know, and the Japan that I went for. It's um, completely different feeling, different vibe, and it it was tough. Yeah, it was there was no fun. You know, there was nobody going to the tracks. You know, every week. Uh, it really the only way I'd explain it to people from here is they just knocked the stuff on out of out of the whole country. You know, it was such a, a tragedy. And then with the whole Fukushima thing going on, the nuclear end of it, it was so uncertain. So it was about a year and after that we made plans to to start you know head back this way. But it didn't happen then, I suppose, to for another wee while by the time we got everything sorted and everything exported, including ourselves. But mm-hmm. parts of it you miss. Parts of it you don't, but uh, I think I think I got the good end of it really. Well, well, taking a step back, so like you're, I I don't even know, I can't even imagine how you did this the first time you're there and you got a job, you're meeting these people mm-hmm. and they're giving you passes for events and, and all that sort of stuff, and then the next time you go and you're teaching, you're like, oh, this is shit. I'll just set up this whole export parts export. Like, yeah. How how do you even go about you know, like I I know they have. Uh, my version of saying like Clarkson's Motor World or something like that. They've you've all backs, which is yeah. like, and um, you just go in like auto backs and go flip. There's a there's a set of coils. Well, auto backs is all kind of new stuff. Auto backs is like Halfords, really. So, so by that by that time, it's like you'd said even at the start, you had met and mingled with so many people. You know, over the years, you had been to so many shops. You know, all the eighty six shops kept sticking every time. Everybody you met like the impulse shop and the tech art shop, you know, they all kind of stuck and you, you got that little click with them. But how do you even get with, you know, when, with someone whose culture is just like it's totally different? I, you know, that's, I, I it, it gets to the stage. It, you, you see if you, you see if you just mute everybody and take the language out, it gets to the stage where you just have stuff in common. Yeah. You know, you, you could actually go to, you could go to a tuning shop. I remember specifically going to tech arts and, they haven't got much English, and I was able to speak enough to get by then. And I remember I said I'll go for an hour, and four hours had passed on about six packets of cigarettes and about ten coffees, and you were still sitting, unbelievable, in, in their office chatting away and showing pictures and going through this and that. And I uh, going home and train home, and it, it kind of sunk in. Then I was like, you know, that was a that was a, a surreal special moment. Like you know that 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 just doesn't happen. But even all the, the shops I'd visited over the time, we, the very first time I went, I went to Top Secret, I went to Trial, I went to Signal. You know, I went to Top Secret and it, the clue's in the name. The place is pretty closed. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no English. 
they're not really open to to visitors and foreigners. And you know, here's me, some guy from Ireland just lands in uh, off the street. And really, when you think back now, I shot an email or called them in advance that I was coming, but nobody had really done it back then, apart from the likes of Max Power, you know, who 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 went to Japan and done the the big media end of it. Nobody had really the balls to just jump on the plane and go <laughs> in like 2004, right? So. Was it Max Park brought one of their cars back over the UK and did like a yeah. top speed run down the M6? Uh, that's the famous, the famous top secret. Yeah, he got about 196 yeah. miles per hour, and then he got yeah, deported. Got, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, he got deported, and they, they they took him out in a Sarah Cosworth or something, and he was amazed it was a yeah, yeah. leader. No, I remember. That's the thing. I mean, when you think back, you were fascinated from such a young age that even as a teen, I remember going to Max Park Live and meeting meeting Smokey. You know, I'd read about him in a magazine, I'd seen the DVD and, and all that. And I said, look, you know, I remember walking around Birmingham AC and like Rockwell and all the guys have been there. That place is massive, you know, and for some reason this guy just stood out and he's not that big. You know, he's only about five feet tall and he just, he, he stood out and I was drawn in like a god. It's like a, like a deer in the headlights and, and uh, I just seen this guy smoking. I was like, fuck, I said, they're smoking the gallows as well, standing in front of me. So I was fascinated by that stage. And then I actually brought that picture. I had printed out on my, in my folder and I brought it, you know, to Top Secret uh, the first time I went and showed him it. And whether he remembered it or not, I don't know, but he acknowledged it to the stage where he thought this was great. And it was nothing was a problem then, you know, come in, sir, into the office, you know, cup of tea, coffee, anything at all, show you around all the cars. Don't take pictures of this one. That's Top Secret. You know, obviously stuff like that. Customers. But out of all the tuning shops that I've been to, and I've been to hundreds, I mean, they are the most private, which is kind of opposite of what you see. I mean, Japan's normally an open doors. Come on in. I want to show you this. I want to show you that. You know, um, Smokey, and for being such a famous shop, I, I know personally people that have went there and be turned away. You know, the door closed in their face and told, not today. You know, that kind of thing. Which is... a uh, is this to preserve their uh, their IP or is it just their attitude? Um, I, th- I think it's the way they're built. You know, the, they were involved so so much in the, like, the likes of Midnight Club, you know, you know the 200 man hour club. And, you know, they, these are guys that want to keep everything private, uh, customer card. They don't want people coming in snooping. They don't want people seeing how to do things and the way to do things, despite them being such a public thing with MaxPar. And, you know... It's the complete opposite. You know, Max Power were the only people to delve that deep. And it boomed him into that level, you know, the international tuning um, name to be recognized. But once he got back to Japan, it was back to work, you know, close the doors, build awesome engines, build fast cars. But all the other shops are so welcoming. But you'll probably read a fair bit about it online. Top Secret are quite private. And so I was very, very, very lucky to, to have got, you know, that's sort of welcoming. Like I, I know, even even recently, I know people that have went to Top Secret and it's door closed. No, no, guys. Did you, did you have, know? Sorry, Andy. Sorry. Uh, did you have like when you were going around all these shops? Do you think they were mm-hmm. talking to each other, saying, "There's a guy from Ireland coming, and I've, I've sat down and we've had coffee, and he's dead cool, and just in case he calls in." Yeah, I got you got that vibe. I mean, the very first time I was there, Craig, I I couldn't speak anything. You know, I didn't know what they were talking saying about me, but. You know, you, you can, you know, when someone's talking about you, no matter what yeah. language it's in, you, you get that feeling, you know, you, 
you, you know, by their eye contact and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, I just got that real welcoming vibe. And, you know, the, hat, the top secret did have a little bit of a mutter and a little bit of whispering. And next thing you know, the door's open. Come on in. So they must have said, look, he's here on his own. He's got a folder. He's done the, he's done the effort. He's got a folder. He got a train an hour and a half out of Tokyo. He jumped on a taxi and he landed at the door. You know, let's give him a half an hour anyway. So, but uh, that is probably all I got was a half an hour compared to other shops, which, um, but you were lucky, you know, that was 2005 and I know people have been there since and they, they yeah. don't, they don't even. And do you in. think the, the reputation followed you around then? But all the other shops are, are, are awesome. Uh, it kind of did. I, I don't know. I've just, I've just been a, I've just been a bluffer or I've just got lucky. You know, <laughs> I just don't know. It's got to the, the stage that, um, First of all, nobody was doing it. You know, I only know a handful of other people from here and England around that time who had, who had even went that far. You know, the whole thing was about getting the Japanese to Europe and for, for D1 and stuff like that. Nobody had really headed off over there um, armed with a, a folder of information just to start going around shops. But even when I've been to the likes of Signal, you know, they, they had just turned around and said, look, nobody comes here you know why are you here you know and how'd you get here you know stuff like that you know i was like well i caught three trains and walked for two miles and and Valside was the same i mean Valside, i specifically remember going there mm-hmm. after was it after tokyo drift and i was fixated my Valside was starting to die off at that stage and i was fixated with the the, the r32 you know the the bronze drag car and the, and the supra and um just fixated with it as like the history and I had to meet and then fell I got the fell site and it was a sorry sorry site because there was Tokyo auto selling cars lying outside from years ago and it was rail run down and um I went inside and I said look is it all right to have a look around and visit and they were like yeah come on in and you know why and I was like you know just I actually had a magazine and I says you know I want to see some of the historic cars and you know and, and the history of Velsa you know right back to the 90s and and they were they were amazed. They were like, you know, we're not we're not really cool anymore. And I was like, well, you're you're cool enough for me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I went in, I went in, and um, Yoko Maku, the the owner, Yoko Maku is side veil. So when you spell it backwards, it veil side. That's his name. So whenever he, he was there, just worked wrenching away on a on a Supra, and he looked up and he's like, you know, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> And I was like, well, sorry to bother you, sir, but I just wanted to come and see some of your old Velside cars. And he's like, he just dropped the wrench immediately and came straight over, shook your hand. And I was like, wow, you know, get this man a cup of coffee here. And the girls were running around getting coffees and he's sitting down. He was showing me all the old kits and he was starting, he was starting then to make uh, like 350Z kits and stuff, you know, more advanced and Bentley kits and, you know, stuff that he was planning for the future. And he had kits for Ferrari and, and stuff like that he was making them out of foam and i sat down with him for for hours and hours and he actually he used to have a restaurant upstairs in, in the tuning shop and he went up then and, and made a just like a, a spag bone like a spaghetti or something spaghetti bolognese i suppose he made it brought it down he says you know that's your tea and you know sit here and i was there four or five hours easily talking about all the, the old things and then he opened up you know he was talking then about how Fast and Furious, if you're listening, screwed him over basically after uh, after Tokyo Drift. He was guaranteed the cars, you know, for the for all the Fast and Furious series. He'd done the first one, two, yeah. and three. 
all Velside cars and they screwed him and said, no more Velside cars. We're going to build them ourselves in the States and stuff like that. And you know, I was like, that, that's when I remember going home after that. It was dark. It was like nine o'clock after that. I was going home and I was like, how am I starting to get this deep into, you know, in, into people and society? And it's not just looking at cars and taking pictures anymore. You're, you're starting to talk yeah. to people. They're starting to Old open friendships. up. Uh, you know, per- personal stories, you know, like, I mean, he didn't have to speak business to me or talk about anything, but he, he just says, you know, I, I asked him, have you plans for any more movie cars? And he just immediately kind of got a wee bit choked up and said, you know, no, we, we lost the, the deal and they, they screwed us over and this and that. And, um, and he said, you know, maybe in the future, but we'll, we'll keep chipping away. And he, he was, I suppose he was kind of grateful that I was there and made the effort to go there because they were in a, they were in a bad state. You know their their peak had had gone, and it was kind of rebuild time. So, but it was it was good to see. You know, he actually did. Then two or three years later, they they rebuilt and done all the Bentley's kits and launched them all again at Auto Salon, and it was good to see him back. I'm just blown away that you can walk into a garage like that and a guy who operated at that level, and you're a total unknown, Randomer, and you know he, he's yeah. so welcoming and like Mr. Vale's at his time. Because if I walk on the horse. For- if I walked in the Hearst Ferrari tomorrow, I would get chased. I, th- <laughs> you know? I think the key, yeah. I think the key, yeah. Gary, is yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It, it's totally different here. It, I agree. I mean, there's, there's. First of all, there's not, there's nothing at that level. But I mean, you know, even local dealers here, you go into and there's no time for for you at all. I mean, it's just. I, I think the key of it is when I, when I reflect on it, the last year or two in particular, mm-hmm. you were on your own. I think that's the key. You, you were there by yourself. I mean, if I went with a whole grump group of people or a bunch of guys and said, look, oh, we're here at Felsair, we're here at trial, yeah. you know, can you show us around? They'll just turn around and say, we don't really have time for this, guys, you know, or, you know, it is a workplace at the end of the day. You know, it's, it's someone's garage, you know, they're, 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 they're working away all day. And you connect on a different level there when you're, you're there and your own, like it's, you're there as an enthusiast. Yeah. When you're there on your own, I think I think they get it. And I wanted to go on my own. That, that was the key. I always wanted to do it by myself because I wanted to get that real direct contact. But then it just grew more and more. You know, that's the thing. You know, that's that was it was real deep in with trial. You were deep in with Failside. You know, you've been to Tech Arts and then I suppose Impulse A86 was the, the real big connection then too. I mean, he uh he really sort of took a shine, I suppose, and just your interest in Corollas, you know, you were on the same level. Everything had to be right. Everything had to be a certain way. And um, we started then making parts together and used to hang out at his place and export parts. And and then uh, he actually then built a, he does a series, like an endurance series, like an 8-hour race. So he built a car for me and four other drivers. And you, you go to wow. Central Circuit and you, you race, you know, like a, half an hour each you come out of the car another guy goes in half an hour so um you know we put the sticker on the car side of the car and all and stuff like that and you know it's just, you just i don't know that i just get lucky or just like you said did you kind of earn the respect over the years or or did you did you go about it the right way you know this i've, I've never really thought about it i've just kind of kind of done it you know it's just the, that's just the way i've always done it and uh, it's all down to, the, to respect, really. You have to respect their way. I mean, if someone closed the door on me, I'll just say, "Look, my apologies. I'll not come back, or I'll come back a better time." But it's just, just, what was that? The culture end of it. You pick it up after time. 
What about when the... Did you ever slip a tenner, even <laughs> once? <laughs> Here's a, a crisp fiver for you. Yeah. Here's a Georgie Best fiver. Get that done yet. It's, 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 one, it's one of them countries <laughs> where you, you, you couldn't, you know, if you had to tuck a wad of cash out, it wouldn't work. You know, it, you just wouldn't get that that connection. And what about when the when your Japanese started to progress? Did you find it a bit easier just to rock up and have a chat? Or oh, yeah. When yeah. you, well, you the passed first, the rock up I learned, and a chat by then? The first thing I learned was little snippets of culture. Greg, you, you learned that it's polite to send an email the day before, you know, that kind of thing, instead of just landing at the door. Send an email the day before or two days before. At least if they don't reply, but at least they've read it and they know you might be coming. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how that's half a thing. Battle. You you start to when you're there longer than a year, you start to realize how things are done in Japan, and it's totally different to here. It's all about consideration and think. You know, not just think about yourself. You just think about how of, they're going to react. Yeah, you know things like that. Yeah. Now, cult, culture-wise, I mean, I, I can go into millions of stories. Culture-wise, I mean, right back, right back to the start. Um, just going from just ordering food, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, I know guys that go there and they just live in McDonald's. I used to just go and just walk into some Japanese restaurant and just start eating. <laughs> just give me, give me something, give me this, give me that. Point to the menu. It's like, you know, that's that was that's always been the way it's it's had to be. You know, it, I don't take the easy option of going yeah. just into McDonald's or into KFC or whatever. You know, I I'll I'll eat where the locals eat. Like, and then the more you meet the locals, that's what they tell you. You know, they'll say, look go off the beaten track. Don't just keep following what every other American guy does or, or anybody else. He says, you know, if there's a quiet little sushi restaurant and you're tempted to go in, open the door and go in. You know, don't don't be afraid of it. Chris, do you think the modern fencing in Japan changed a lot over the years? You know, in, in the sense Absolutely. that, you know, like um, over here, obviously, you know, we had the, the cruises and the body kits and everything it was about Larry back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and now it's all kind of calmed down a bit. Does it parallel out there, or is it? Do they still Japan? In my opinion, over the years between here, Japan, and the states, what happens in Japan happens first. Uh, I still think today Japan's the trendsetter, mm-hmm. and then and then it, then it goes to SEMA, and then it comes to here. You know what? Whatever happens in Japan, I suppose that the most recent thing is the Liberty Walk and the and the big uh, the flares and the kits and the rocket bunny. You know that was Japan, and then. Next thing you know, same as full of it, you know, Rao Welt, RWB, Porsches, everything. And then it comes to here. Here's dragging its heels a little bit. But I mean, the thing about the tuning in, in Japan is it's so diverse. I mean, there's every, when I went there, it was all, in my opinion, GTRs, track, drift, uh, drag racing, street. And then you go there and you start seeing low riders. You know, you start seeing Euro cars and classic cars and hot rods. And, and you're like, you know, there's everything here. You know, there's, I remember going to Scuba one time, there was an Alfa Romeo track day. I was like, what? I said, what? Alfa Romeo's on the track day? And I was like, this is, this is crazy. That's actually one of the things um, I had on my list for you because obviously we, we've a, a huge focus on JDM cars and the same if you're in America. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, was it a, was it a two, two-way thing? Do they appreciate the German cars and European cars and American cars in the yeah, same way yeah. that we appreciate the German JDM? Thing, when, I, when I was there at that stage, obviously the Japanese tuning was so big, but it's normal there. You know, it, it it's, I suppose it's like Cosworths and stuff here in, in the 90s, 2000s. It was normal. You know, everybody had a Sierra Cos, you know, that, that's the way it was. But, you know, if you were driving a left-hand drive Porsche or you're driving a, an, an M3, 
it had to be left-hand drive. You know, it has to be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing. The, the, if you drive a right-hand drive M3, it's not as cool as one that's direct from Germany, left-hand drive. But um, in recent years, I suppose the last time I was at Auto Salon in particular, I remember the E46 M3 being a real launch and then the E90 came in. And it was, that was when you started seeing the German cars and then the Porsche market hit, you know, the, the RWB market hit and it's just Euro cars are huge. It's probably, if you go out there now recently, you know, to Tokyo Auto Salon this year, it'll be more Euro cars than, really? than Japanese oh. stuff. Yeah, it's, it's kind of done a, done a full turn. Although I think part of that, uh, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know the JDM market, but certainly my opinion of Japanese cars, there's not the same performance cars coming from the manufacturers now. No, no, definitely not. Uh, we're still holding on to the glory days of the 90s, really. You know, the, that was the peak when you, you know, when I first yeah. went, it was Skylines and Supras and, and also you know, all the stuff you, you've seen in the magazines. But now when you go to Tokyo Auto Salon, yes, you're going to see the, the GR, the Yaris. You'll have to, you have to get the GR Yaris in. You'll, you'll see plenty of those and you'll see plenty of drift cars and stuff like But um, you'll not see many, you know, you go to a show, you'll not see many A86s. You'll not see too many S13s. You know, stuff stuff like that. Those days are gone. You know, it'll, it'll be Euro stuff, American stuff. You, uh, you'll see Mustangs, Camaros, all sorts. But then you lift the bonnet and it's a two JZ or something, you know, something wild in it. You know, they've they've just ripped the ripped the V8 out and and put something else in. The but to answer Gary's question, the modifying end of it, yes, it's changed, but it's still there. You know, it, it's one of them countries that still modifies properly, like like we know it. You know, body kits, engine swaps, wild paint. You know, it's. Still, I, still I personally yeah. think SEMA has even toned down a little bit in the last couple of years. I think SEMA's. Uh, has gone a bit you know, the quality is so good but i think it's gone a little bit safe would be the word whereas you go to tokyo auto salon it's it's one of them such a unique shows you know it's there's wild and larry things still everywhere so i have a question for you it's not really correlated mm-hmm. uh but what makes you think flip i'd love to be back in lurgan right now what 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 were the biggest what's the big or maybe maybe that's what, what's, what's the biggest shock you know from living there that you had to deal with that's totally different from us because I'm sure we, uh, we're mm, the biggest, the biggest difference just people <laughs> just, just people of the, the biggest thing I mean you, you kind of got to the stage out there where see when I when I first went somebody told me the real good advice I went I went to a little restaurant going off the off the ramp but I went to a wee restaurant and there was about six people in a little, tiny little restaurant I couldn't use chopsticks and I was the the, the owner she was a bit 80 years old and she made me this real nice food and she taught me how to use chopsticks and then she said to me she said she'd been in america and all and she knew jfk and stuff like that she thought this was great um that i was in a restaurant and she said to me i'll give you one bit of advice don't try and be japanese she says no matter what you do she says no matter how long you live here no matter how much you speak no matter how many kids you have you'll never be japanese and I says, right, okay, I'll take that in mind. She said, and then she said, you know, that's just, you know, I'm trying to really help you. Like she says, you'll never, you'll, you'll fit in and you'll know what to do, but you'll never be one of us. She says, you'll be, you'll go along someday. You'll think you're Japanese, and, and there's, there's a moment that sticks. You know, you'll be here long enough where you're, you're in a bubble and you think you're Japanese, and then you'll, you'll be on a train, 
and you'll get a reflection in the window and you're still the white guy. You know, you're always going to be, you know, you're always going to be white with blue eyes. You're still the organized. That's just right. It's just right. It's just what you said. Learn as much as you can about it and learn how we behave and learn our culture and, and respect and learn what, what be done in a certain way and why. And if you don't like it, you still have to get on with it. But she says, you'll still get away with certain things because you're not Japanese. So you're just there that long and you know how people behave and you know people don't really bother each other. I mean, you could be in, in Tokyo, could be the busiest place in the world and the traffic, you know, just flows, you know, the people just flow through the station. And then you come back here and you go to the fucking supermarket and they're bumping into each other and they're stopping in the middle of the aisle. You're shooting and, at these people and, and in you Japanese so, and Henderson's so and like, Lurgan. You know, not keep fucking moving, you know. You not keep you know, They can manage a million people through a train station in Tokyo and there's like 20 people here and you're all in the aisles blocking trolleys and fucking around. And just, just the ignorance. Nah, just the ignorance, yeah. Yeah, but then you kind of remember that, you know, you're not Japanese, but you've been there long enough to... To fit in, if you get me, and you find a way of life, and you find yeah, you, you adapt and you you take on that way. Like that's that's how you live, and get a you know you, you you stand back and let someone pass, or you hold a door open. You know, way things like that. You go first. You know, I get up on the train. There, you know, you automatically when you're on the train, there's a woman who's pregnant, or there's somebody who's like fifty comes along. You automatically, you, you don't even know. You, your body just gets you up off the seat, and then someone else, you know, get them sit down. Uh, that's just the way it is. But over here, it's just a, it's just a different story. But it took it did it, it, that was the biggest shock. It took you a wee while. Um, you came back kind of timid. With, with that, does that make sense? You came back a wee bit, like you you lost your your edge and your your Northern Ireland roughness. You know, <laughs> your lurgan your lurgan roughness. You you kind of lost it a wee bit. Uh, and it took you a wee while to to sort of push on and get back into it again. Hi the sounds, tiger. Hi the tiger. It, it sounds like you really enjoyed being there and and mm-hmm. enjoy it you enjoyed that culture oh, i did yeah i did it's not for everyone i mean i have a mate came to visit me and he got off the plane and the first night he was grand second night i took him out drifting and all the second night this was great and then he just he sent me an email and he says i want to go home and i'm like dude you've only been here fucking two days and he's like it's just not for me he says i i just can't can't stay here like he says i have to go and then that was the first real moment and uh i sat down and spoke to him i says look man just stay another couple of nights <laughs> and and then he and at the end of it he gave him his due he stayed the week but he was just so glad to go home and then he rang me then after, a couple of weeks after he rang me back to japan and said look he said it's just it's just not for everybody you know it's just not for me he said i can't quite pinpoint what it was was it the language was it so busy was it the the people staring at me or what it was you know i i don't know but um i i've there's never had that i suppose it's just being fascinated from so young and the and the cars and it just uh i never really had that experience you know but i suppose that no matter where you go it's it's not for everyone yeah was, your mind was totally open to it from yeah. being out there at 18 so i suppose you just you started early but that that's just i th- i think my mind was just that set um and there, there there is things that that disappointed me as like you know i didn't expect this or i didn't expect that but i mean majority of it was was as i thought on and then some you know it's it's uh it, it, it's still still a fascinating place when we go out you know it's obviously with a family it's different you know you can't just go all guns blazing to the, the drift tracks but it's um 
it's still still a fascinating place. You know, there's still food and restaurants is, is unbelievable, but the car end of it still, you know, now to this day with the 86s, I mean, no matter where you go, you're you're like a celebrity. Like, you know, it's uh, it's, it's, it's great when you go when you go back out. The things I wondered about Japan was the technology there because they've always seemed to me to be so technology centered. Like, you know, everything we got that was cool, like the Sony Walkmans and stuff in the 80s all started there. Yeah. Is it is it really like that or is that just a stereotype? That to me now, to me personally, I haven't been there and lived. That's a stereotype. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing about the culture. I've written down some notes that I was like the good and the bad and the, the this and that. But I mean, it's a country, Gary, so far advanced and technology and this and that, and they have a robot for everything. Mm-hmm. And it's also a country that has so much red tape and backward, you know, when it comes down deep into it. You know, this is this is still a country that you have to fucking fax machine things, you know. Really? Yeah, wow. that's how that's how bad it is. Yeah. Or this is a country where story I want to get my driver license renewed. And I suppose like your your residence permit has like your birth certificate, they're just short and along. And I went with a short. I thought this will be grand, proof of address and all. Went, sat through the two hour fucking class and <laughs> in Japanese about how not to overtake people and this and that. You have to renew your speed and stuff. And sat through it, went to hand him a paperwork up then to the woman and she turned around and says, that's the short bit of the paperwork. And I'm like, ah, well, it was, should be all right. You know, <laughs> it was Northern Ireland head, I'll be grand. Sure. <laughs> or left the phone there and check it, you know, that kind of thing. And she's like, oh, no, no, you have, to get, you have to go and get the long one. I'm like, well, it's two hours away in a train. I said, can it, will it not do? She's like, no, 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 it has to be the long one. And I'm like, well, can they email it over to you or, or something? Or, you know, can she, Somebody take a screenshot, send it over. Oh no, they could fax it over to me. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who uses a fax machine? And uh, that that's the kind of the way, you know, as a country, you still stumble and you hit there, there's roadblocks there. Like there yeah. is there Make is roadblocks. And and that's the difference here. It's you know, yes, here's good and bad, but I mean being here and being from here and stuff, there's always, I mean, had that thing happened in an office here, you'd, you'd bluff your way past it. You like, could sort of wing it a wee bit. But... Yeah, or or yeah. somebody will send you a WhatsApp and say, look, there it is. That, that's good enough for you, you know, that kind of thing. But Japan, it has to be the buy the book. This isn't here. <laughs> I can't take it off. You know, there is no bend in the rules. So, so the society works sort of for and against them? It does, but because they grew up that way, they don't question it. But me being a foreigner from Lurgan, I just turn around and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, well, that's the way it's been from birth. So, you know, either like it or lump it. So there is, there's frustrating things like that. You tell me of a superior process in Lurgan, this kind of thing. You know, this is the sort of thing here is, you know, you'd have rang somewhere, you'd have said, look, ring the office there or email it over mm-hmm. quick or something, or you bluff your way through, or I'll bring it back tomorrow, you know. That kind of thing, whereas Japan is, it's just uh, black or white. You know, it's it's one way it's or, or no yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of things are just still still an old way. Like business-wise, it's still so old. and and But that's what you have to learn. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. And that, that's where you go past the, the tourist mode and you have to delve deep. You know, I, I, I can describe it as a an onion, you know, with the core. And there's... 20 different layers before you get to it like and you get to one layer and then you get stuck and you get knocked back before you really see the core of japan like. and is there many expats over there like would you see people from ireland or uk or anything like yeah yeah no there's stock there's plenty of foreigners i mean 
how can I explain foreigners? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like anywhere is, but because there is a different language and different culture, there's there's foreigners go there. And if they're listening to this, fair enough. But I mean, ninety percent of them are really rude or real idiots. You know, I I'd say ten percent of them probably think like me or do things like me. Some of them just think they're still in Australia or, or in America. You know, and without sounding rude or you know, their their culture doesn't really carry over was the, the polite way of saying it. You know, you just can't be as loud as that. You can't be as forward as that. And you have to remember where you are and, and respect the way. You know, that's... Called, that's uh, uh, Tokyo Drift Gaijin, or whatever they call it. Yeah, that's the thing. The yeah. Gaijin. But <laughs> you, were watching, you were watching that the other night. I still, I still love it. the other night, and I was like, oh, this is great research. <laughs> yeah. No, Tokyo Drift, uh, it was, it was a, at the peak. Like, that was... <laughs> That was a peak for me, you know, to see Tokyo Drift and, and, and have drifting at that level and the real interest in Japan to, to be involved and be out there was great at that time. And funny, I was talking back the other night then to um to Toshi Toshi Hayama. He, he actually was a direct, you know, director or advisor for, for Tokyo Drift. I was talking to him a couple of nights ago and he used to run Apex in, in the States, Apex era and, and Japan. And then he was just saying, you know, about how things have changed and this and that. And, you know, so you were, you were sort of talking and dealing with guys, mm-hmm. you know, even back then who were who were movie stars. Like, you know, it's, it's uh, surreal. Like he sent, me, he sent me a message just how it was going. And he actually was the, you know, the the announcer on, at the D1 UK. You remember D1 Silverstone? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was there. He was a translator there. So that's kind of our connection went back that far, like. Um, to, to be dating with guys like that, but yeah, when when you when you make notes and you you look back and talk to you guys, like what what you've done and seen, is it's it's pretty cool. I mean, to, to be able to be messaging guys like um like Arido, you know, Arido Manu, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Well, you 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 remember me, Rock Rock would remember me when I was younger, so. To, to have went to that level would have, is, is pretty different and it is a high level I mean I'm still modest about it but what you've achieved and done and, and who, you've, who you've worked and, and been involved with is, uh, is pretty cool I mean even even Arito um, Arito Manabu he's a, he's, a, he's a race driver I mean he's still uh, still racing the Super GT and he actually bought an 86 a couple of months ago he started off in an 86 in the 80s and um him and a couple of other racers set up, you know, all street drift clubs and stuff like that. And then they developed into super GT racers in the 90s, 2000s and D1 drifters. And he was a D1 judge. And I remember going to Tsukuba Circuit and like this is the first time I'd seen, I'd seen him and I'd seen him in the UK and got a picture with him and stuff. And all this was great when I was in my, my rabbit in the headlights days. But I mean, at that stage then I was down around the, the pits in Tsukuba, just, just me and the camera. And he was eating, he was eating noodles, like he's sitting there slurping away at noodles. And I says, fuck it, I'm not disturbed this guy. Even, even as big a fan as I am. And he kind of caught me eye and he just, he waved me over. And I was like, right, well, you know, you're not really meant to interrupt someone in Japan when they're eating, but I'll go anyway. And I just said, you know, sit down, take a seat. He says, where are you from? What are you at? You know, I was chatting away to, you know, this super GT driver and he was, uh, he was drifting a super and all the time. like, And, um, He's, he's had a real good chat for an hour to, to this guy, you know, it's, who you've watched on DVDs for years and who's the, the, the D1 judge, you know, of that level with CJ. You know, he he sort of trained and raced under Keiichi CJ. 
and um 80, 86 head you know super tuner everything about him international racer and me sitting there on a wee fucking camping chair slurping noodles like, and talking about him there you are that was it but he was happy enough and uh had to get a selfie and all but he was um he, again he kind of switched in after about 30 minutes he kind of switched into he got real personal you know talking about advice and what you're doing and you know i just set up the the parts exporting then and he was you know saying and don't give up at it and keep at it and he was trying to give you advice about what to do and just keep following following what you you believe and enjoy the cars and, and things like that so it was good to have a chat to that level and I suppose that even the, the pinnacle for me is Keiichi Suchia. You know, it's you know, the Drift King. He's a D1 judge, racer from, what, the 80s on. He was... Um, he's the original Mr. A86. Like. He is. He is the he's the king. He's, he is the king. He's the different level. I mean, first first met him at Max Barley a long time ago. And then I met him at the D1 UK and stuff. And... In Japan, but this is a guy I'd watched on DVDs and old grainy VHS tapes, you know, and from the the best mode. Even but even before that, I remember watching races um of him in the Advan '86, uh, an old videotape from 1987 or eight, and um, I remember watching it. And he, he used to drift. That's where he used to drift the last couple of corners because he was that far ahead, and he became the drift king, and. I met him then at Fuji Speedway. They had an '86 event, and back then it wasn't that big, and it was certainly no foreigners. I mean, it was there was only sixty cars, sixty or seventy cars, and he was just wandering around, you know, so relaxed compared to the modern day, where everything's on a stage and a microphone and you know, taped off cordoned area. You don't get to see the drifting, you know, he's too busy, and he was just wandering around talking. And I was talking to him about the the UK events and stuff like that, and he thought this is this is great. And, he, he was chatting away, so chatting Corollas, it was you know, with, with the drift cane, like, but it was uh, just kind of surreal when you look back at it now. Like, it's um, it's a different level, but I suppose the way to explain it without kind of being too big headed is y- you can go to an event and you can take a picture with these guys, and that's cool, that's the fanboy moment, and then you kind of reach the next level where you're talking about that car you just built, or you're talking about remember that time you were in at Silverstone or stuff like that or you remember one time you went to whatever or so i ended up talking to him then way back to the to the 80s like you know the 90s and then i found out he he actually raced with david kennedy from from here um not sure if you're familiar with the the irish racer david kennedy he'd be he'd be in his 60s now um he raced at mandalo and he went to japan in the 90s and raced with suchia in the cosmo sierra and BMW M3. So oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a little lesson, <laughs> a wee history lesson. So he he raced then. So when I mentioned Ireland, that's who he mentioned. He said I used to race with a guy from Ireland, from Dublin. And I was like, what? No way! I don't believe you. And he said, I did. He said, um, and he started uh, dragging up pictures of him in the Cosmo Oil um, RS500 Sierra um, in the nineties, and showed me a picture of David with his bright orange Irish hair <laughs> and the. Uh, he said we were we were teammates. So then even back here, actually it was about a year before this COVID, maybe two years ago. I met David at Mondello at our 86 Fest and I was talking to him about it and I showed him pictures and showed him a magazine of him and Suchia. And he couldn't believe it. And then he signed the magazine and 
some keys you assigned the magazine as well so we we, we stories like that just kind of unfold you could talk about it for hours and hours you know but oh, it's surreal well here where where is your your bag at home mm-hmm. or well wherever home is now it's northern ireland at the moment yeah. but and uh your your missus is from from japan and, and over here live with you where where are you is a86 world is that is that your your full-time gig at the moment it's, it's gone full-time honey. it's just gone to that level i i never intended it to turn into a big business i i really like the social end of it i love building the you know the facebook page i love then running the site and then the, obviously instagram and stuff took off and i just want to share pictures and connect you know people from all over the world you know get the japanese guys in, into one place and share all their stuff stuff that they're doing everybody could follow it next thing you know it just snowballs into like 150,000 followers and this that uh, but then the parts end of it just got so so busy uh you know we're getting calls from all over the world you know it's uh, it's not just guys here anymore it's messages every day i need this i need that can you send me this can you send me that so we ended up just setting up in japan with two guys there who export parts from there but it's got to the stage now we are sending parts worldwide you know it's i actually wrote down some of the places i'd sent to i sent i remember sending a i got a, an email from a guy in in kenya in africa um a couple of years ago and he said the roads are so shit here he says i've just busted the steering rack on, on my on my 86 corolla and um, he said Definitely. he said nope, nobody can build it he said nobody can rebuild this he said is there any way you can send me a steering rack to kenya i thought it was a one of these pranks or a you know a scam like Nigerian you know Prince. nigeria or kenya kind of thing yeah i thought okay. you know i mean i, I kind of quizzed him out i said well send me pictures of the car i said how many how many of them are there and he said there's four corollas in kenya i said what four corollas and he said, oh, well, 486s. He said, well, plenty of other stuff. Like, I said, right. And he sent me pictures of this red car. It was a clean car, but it was sitting like a 4x4 because the roads are so bad. And I said, right, well, if you're willing to do it, I said, I can get you a steering rack, send it, send it out. And uh, with it, like a DHL, that's what was there in a couple of days. And the next day, he sent me a video of him driving the car. He, he got it fitted <laughs> straight away. He's driving the car down Kenya, down, down these back roads on, on off-road tires. And I thought, this is unreal. I mean, you know, I'd sent parts all over. And um, the biggest, all the biggest thing then we, we had sent, um, we'd, we'd actually air freighted a car to Dubai from Japan. Um, it was a pretty, pretty rich person. And he wanted an 86 and he wanted an initial D, you know, the, the, the old anime kind of, White over black cartoon. He wanted this Toronto initial D tofu car, and I says, right, well, at, the, at that time shipping to Dubai was all right, and he says, no, I, I need it, I need it like next week. I'm like, well, it's not, it's not going to be next week. So he says, look, and then he, he actually rang me, and he he said he spoke perfect English, and he said, look, I'll tell you the situation, explain who he was, explain what he wanted it, what he wanted it for. It was a special occasion for his son and all, and he said. Uh, can you get that car to an airport? So I said, right, no, well, we can. Uh, car, luckily it was in Tokyo. So I had to get on to Lufthansa. It's the only person that air freights cars and got on to Lufthansa in Tokyo. Look at the car loaded on and the car flew to Dubai and was unloaded. Uh, I'll have to send you pictures. Uh, it's it's pretty, pretty cool. So he, uh, that, that's 
another big deal who, who I dealt with. Other people I've dealt with, I mean, that's just the Corollas, the, the Impulse cars we've dealt with. We've got all the carbon fiber panels. We've shipped them worldwide, shipped them to the States, New Zealand, Australia, here. Uh, I'm trying to think of kind of interesting places, you know, real weird places uh, where you've sent stuff, sent stuff to Iceland. Um, places that you never thought Corollas existed. You know, I thought they were all here or, or Japan or the States and Australia and stuff, but um, some, some strange places like Pakistan has, has twin cam Corollas. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's random. It's just random. But that, that's, what, that's the level it has gone to. You know, you're, you're, you're messaging and getting involved with people from, from everywhere and so many different cultures and languages. And, and um, you just can't believe like some it's of the insane. places. I mean, it, there's, there's Corolla twin cams in Jordan. There's, you know, Saudi Arabia, Africa. Um, and then obviously here in Europe and stuff. You're living living the dream. Did you uh, did you uh, did you ship any rotors anywhere? Oh, uh, <laughs> you mentioned the rotors. <laughs> probably Murph. probably probably the Murph. Ah, uh, the Murph. Ah, fuck! I hate rotors. I, <laughs> I I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I think it's because having been there and being involved with directly with the people that make these parts. It's just a real gripe. It really pisses me off when people copy parts. I, I don't mind Rota as a as a manufacturer. I just hate the way the copy designs. That's the best basic way. If if Rota made their own style of wheel, no problem. But you know, work or SSR or Volk Racing make a wheel, and then two weeks later, it's on fucking Rota's website. <laughs> you know, for half the price, uh, with slightly different bolts, and everybody everybody locally is ordering them up. And this is great. No, but yeah, uh, the Murph knows. The Murph knows all the way <laughs> That was one thing he asked. Was like, nope. we've got a couple of questions. Anything, anything we've got to ask Chris? Just ask him about Rotus. Just, just ask him about Rotus. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pet hit. Not, not even just the Rotus and the ways. Like, it's just the uh, parts in general. I mean, I just have that level and standard where I, I, I love when parts are custom made. You know, are, are made here and developed. But if you're gonna bolt on aftermarket parts, it has to be done right. You know, um, I, I I see I see both sides to it. I, I see the the fact that some of these parts are just made and then they've got a name or a label, you know, stamped onto them, HKS or Toto, whatever. And the same part can be made somewhere else, cheaper, and do the same job. But from what the way I grew up and I'm going to Japan and the being around it and immersed in it. It, it has to be, I, I just can't do the dirt on them. You know, it's just, it, it has to be that way. You know, if someone offered me a Toda exhaust or one without Toda on it, I, I know the other one's probably all right, as long as it's made well, but it has to be a Toda exhaust. I bet you, you could hook me up with a pretty sweet set of rims for my Yaris. Oh, we sort it. We'll get it sorted. I cover all cars. I mean, that's the thing. We cover even the Top Gear stuff. And I was messing last week. I mean, Whenever Chris Burns randomly called me, I, I don't know. I don't even come back. And Chris rang me and says, "Look, I need some Liberty Walk kits." I'm like, "Right, well, there wasn't really a big thing here at the time." Chris was ahead of the game that he's listening, <laughs> and um, he said, "I said, right, well, you know that those sort of things have to be shipped by sea, Chris. I mean, they're, they're big, huge boxes, and they're going to get damaged any other way." And he's like, "No, I need, I need them tonight." <laughs> I was like, right. It's like real fast and furious. I said, look, I need overnight parts, literally overnight parts from Japan. <laughs> and 
And I said, what, what are you doing? And he explained, and this, this was a year before the cars were, were built. Um, and he said, look, you're a man to, to get in touch. So I said, right, I'll message Cato, Liberty Walk, see what he can do, explain the situation. Uh, next thing you know, the phone's ringing from Japan. He says, you know, is this top gear? Is this going to BBC? Like? And I says, yeah. I said, they're building, building cars, I said, for a live display and they want Liberty Walk kits. And he's like, right. He says, when do you need them? I said, tomorrow. <laughs> you know, tomorrow, today, now. Work fast, as they say. And then he's like, right. Uh, he says, we've got them in stock. He says, well, we'll air mail them. I was like, right. And I says, well, you do know there's probably like three to go. And he's like, all right. And he says, whatever it is. And then ended up air mailing them into Heathrow. Chris went down, lifted the boxes, got them all sorted for the car, got everything else. And then Cato rang again and said, what wheels are you guys putting on the car? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I need to check with Chris. And he's like, no, no, no. He says, I'm telling you what wheels you're putting on the all car. Right. And he says, uh, I'll hook you guys up. He says, it has to be. He said, if you're putting my kid on that car, he said, it has to be a good enough wheel. You know, I think Chris was talking something pretty cool anyway, but he wasn't talking Forgiato like 12 inch way or more on the back. And a huge, huge set of wheels. And again, they were FedEx the from Australia, you know, FedEx Airmail, it was nothing was was too much work for them guys. Like so, but they turned out awesome. You know, it was good to be involved in, in something like that. You know, at that level, absolutely incredible. Definitely was. I got be lucky. Be lucky to work with people like that. And you know, a lot of a lot of work is done behind the scenes, especially recently. There's a lot of uh, secret projects going on and and stuff that that people don't see. You know, people see everything you post online and the twin cam stuff and the eighty six stuff. Um, but people don't see what you've done over over the years, you know, compared to now where everything's documented and videoed, you know, back then I had like a, the first time I went out was a couple of megapixel camera, you know, it was crap and half the photos are either lost on hard drives now or grainy, but the stories you have from over the years are, uh, are, are a different level, you know, I, I only wish you could have went out now and had a video camera, you know, like like Neil and the guys have done recent with juice box and stuff, you know. I was I was gonna say that I've I've started watching the and I haven't really watched any of the juice box stuff, but I've watched their first episode. I'm halfway through the second episode. Yeah, and in a van if you're, and if you want to watch, but get to absorb some Japanese culture and vehicle culture, uh, watch juice box for use. Uh, Japan in a van is absolutely uh, brilliant. As as the, the Driftworks uh, movie from ten yeah. years ago or whatever it was is is. It's hard to believe that was 10 years ago. It's, 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 it's hard to believe. Yeah. But when I watch those back, it's different. It's different now. Um, I, I love what I love what the film the guys done too. They had an awesome time. And I love, uh, I really love what Neil's done with the juice box because he just gets it there. He kind of reminds me of the first time I went. Mm-hmm. You know, Neil has just connected really well with it and absorbed it. And it's just so lucky that they can video it now and, and, and get it out there. Yeah. You know, but then it's just, it, but it's different. If when I watch it back, it's it, it's it's a bit more different than when I went. Maybe it's because I went on my own, and um, you know, compared to having a crew with me or, or three or four guys, and, and maybe you, you absorb it differently that way because you can banter off, you know, sort of bounce off each other about what you did that day. Whereas I just went and it was just me. Yeah. Um, but it, it was more closed. It was definitely more closed when I went. Um, the very first time, uh, and even from living there, it, it was more close compared to now. I mean, the last 10 years and the internet, Japan has really opened up. It's just more accessible, I suppose. You know, it's uh, you, you can land at the Tokyo and say, right, I, I want to go to 
or whatever shop or tuning shop, you type it into the phone, follow the trains and it takes you there. Whereas it, it was different back then. But I suppose the stories are different too. So I was watching their videos and they were, they were somewhere that had uh, loads of uh, R30, or loads of GTR Skylines, R32s to 30s. Yeah, Global, Global Auto. Auto. Yeah. So I went to Global Auto, got .co.japan, Japan, yeah. your stock list. The price of stuff, even over there, oh. <laughs> is phenomenal. No, the price of cars, Andy's just gone. It's gone insane. It's gone insane. I mean, I was always told once a car hits 30 in Japan, that's it. Basically double the price, and it just keeps going up and up and up. It was always the magic number, right back to, you know, kind of 1970 with Celicas and stuff like that, and older Datsuns. Once they hit 30, the prices started creeping up, and it's it's supply and demand and, and parts. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. Uh, yes, yeah, market's a big so, thing now, too, with their 20-year or whatever uh, else. So you can get a GTR there now. Yeah, yeah. the American market is, is a different level. They're actually storing cars. You know, they're storing them in, in, in Japan for, you know, shipping in, in a couple of years' time. Uh, the Americans have put it up uh, something crazy. They always collected cars. I mean, I, I even personally know guys that, that have a couple of Japanese stuff, but from Americans always collected cars, you know, their own stuff, you know, Dodge and Chevrolet's in the 1960s and, and 70s cars and American muscle cars and Mopark stuff. You know, I, last couple of years in particular, I've been following that and the, like the money in America and Texas and stuff like that in particular is uh, it's crazy. You know, the, some of the car collections are are a different level and the Japanese stuff now is is their next their next pick. You know, they just seem to be picking them, storing them. Uh, and ship them, ship them when they can. But uh, the price of supers and stuff now, um, everything. I mean, the price of. I remember watching Barrett Jackson auction and a was a DC two Integra went through. It was like a hundred grand or something that went for. You know, it's, it was a really, really, really crazy example. They were like six hundred miles or something on it. But but uh, you know, the Americans have made it unreachable, in my opinion. Um, well, that's that ship's gone for us. Is there any is there, is there any jammy bargains? Something really random that that is still. Uh, we got one car there recently for a guy. It was a Toyota. It was the Aristo. Yeah. And they made a, another version with a real ugly front, the Verosa. Mm-hmm. The Verosa is a. It's basically a chaser in a different shell. Mm-hmm. Um, if you mention the word chaser, it's plus ten grand. <laughs> If you mention a Verosa or an Aristo, it's much cheaper. Um, oh but anything, two thousand, you know, nineties, two thousands is. I've just googled that. Holy Verosa. shit! That's absolutely ugly. That's the most horrendous car I've ever seen. It's a fugly. It's oh, a fugly car. How do you spell it? it is rough. But it's got a two JZ engine, rear wheel drive, gearbox. You know what? It's basically a chaser. Uh, they're awesome, awesome oh cars, God. but they're hard. They're hard. They're hard on the eyes. <laughs> oh, it's. They're, they're it, is, it is like classic Hyundai Grim, isn't it? But they're so cheap. I can't think why. <laughs> they are cheap. That is I think awful. I'd rather have... I ha- even, even, even when they're kitted, they just look like like a squashed dolphin's face or something. It's just, it's I'd rather weird. have a new M3. <laughs> they're a weird, real weird nose. Yeah, no, they're, they're crazy. It, look, it looks like the front of it's melted. Okay. Oh, the, Amer- the Americans will buy the Americans will buy anything, Andy. It's It's... It's gone to that level. I mean, the price of the Hondas is crazy, but their love is the Skyline. I mean, I, I don't know. Do you know the story about the history of the, 
the skyline in, in the US is it's a sketchy, sketchy history, like which involves J- Japan and J- Japanese as well. <clears throat> but that that's why it's so so expensive. You know, they were they were illegal for mm-hmm. for many many years. Um, after they imported rear wheel drive GTSs and they crash tested them as GTRs. I'll not name the company. I'll let you search online. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so that that's what happened, and then the 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 enforcers in all in America find out that these are not GTR um, crash results. These are GTSs, and you're important, you know, during this paperwork. So they banned all GTR 32, 33s from the states um, for for many years, uh, and they actually impounded. You know, anybody had one, that they, they, they impounded it and took it. Yeah. Because it was an illegal, illegal import, and it was only only really recently then it's it's starting to to turn the corner. But that's what made them so they were untouchable. You know, they were a sort of car that just was banned and I will now come back in. And if you want one now, you'll pay silly, silly money. The money in those is mental. It must they must be well over two hundred grand. Oh, easy, yeah. I I think they they're just going to go up and up. You know, they're going to get to the stage. Probably within ten years, you'll see a car going through the likes of Barrett Jackson with a really original one, fully legal, low miles, and it'll be it'll be eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. And someone will pay it, you know, maybe more. You know, I I think within ten years, I I get the, the impression that's that's what it'll be. A thirty-four GTR will be a, a million dollar million dollar car. I I know these Verosas are horrible. However. Mm-hmm. It's when you start reading the spec. So, it's, oh, yeah. Jap West Imports have this, or no, had it in stock last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, Toyota Verosa JZX 110, one JZ VBT, VBTI, uh, five speed manual, 300 horse, electric everything, HKS induction kit, front mount, coilovers, Power FC, Cusco Strut Brace, all the rest, eight grand. Sorry. It's all better looking car than the new four series. <laughs> I Gary, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the very, very first time I seen I'm one, stretching. I remember seeing one. I remember seeing one in Japan, and it was a, it was a D one, and this thing was it was kitted and all, but I'd never seen a car at the front of it like that. You know, because everything back then was still pretty square and, and simple. Mm-hmm. Even even the S fifteen would have been the you know, the freshest looking face, and I seen the chaser nice and square, and then I seen this thing, and I was like, what the what is that thing? You know, it's ugly and i'll never never forget seeing the drifting because it was awesome but then i find out then it was a it was a full vertex kit and, and everything on it and then i went then to the shop the uh, t&e ueno that used to be d1 driver in the toyota soar it was his mate that, that owned it and uh he was saying you know it was it's such an ugly car and nobody wanted it that's why he bought it because it was so cheap and uh, he could get into drifting at that level and but yeah, it's still it's still pretty rough looking. Look. I suppose when you're drifting, you only see it from the side. Oh well, he didn't see he didn't really see much of it at all. No, he was happy enough inside it. He was having a good time. But yeah, he it was just one of them cars stood out. But then when it's, you asked for something that was a bargain, that was it's bizarre looking. like that is it really is. Reminds me of something, but I just can't is, put my finger on it. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard. It, I don't know. Like a Hyundai Getz or something. Yeah, there's definitely a Hyundai, a Hyundai front with some sort of a grill. It's, it's, it, it's, it's odd. It, even the back of it's weird. You know, it's, it's. it's and then uh, you see a modified like one. Would I drop this into the chat? Do you see this? It's like an old yeah. S class from the back. They're strange. They're strange, Carly. 
I just can't understand how they got there from from all their other Jazzy models, you know, like the Mark II and the Chaser. You know, they're completely opposites. The Aristos, really the Aristos, a little bit similar, but a lot more simple and, and plain. So, so even if you're importing a Cruel now, what mm-hmm. what's what is the very least they're they're even going in Japan for? Oh, this is that old question with any Corolla, a good one or, or an average one. Um, starting like off, saw today. I'll, I'll be honest, an average one starting off that needs a bit of work, 15 grand. Um, a good one, 20. Really good one, proper car that needs very little, you know, maybe a bit of mechanical or a bit of upgrading that you want to do yourself. Mm-hmm. Talking 25 grand. Unbelievable. And is there many available or are they, are they Ken's teeth now? No, there's still surprisingly there's still plenty available, you know, if you want them. But obviously not the way it was before. I mean, it, it was at the stage where any Corolla that had rust on the back arches was sent to Ireland. You know, that's, <laughs> that is just the way it was. You know, once it started to get a bit scabby, or or the gearbox was going, it's like get that on the boat to Dublin. Get it off. You know, there, there was there yeah. was a time where there, there was hundreds a month coming, and you know, it was it was it was at that level. But now now you're down to to, to ten or twenty a month. You know, coming in and it's just the price of them. But I mean, even when I was there, it was always the same old words. You know, the Japanese told me themselves, the best cars don't leave. You know, that's, that is simple as that. You know, you're, you're, you'll get good cars, but you'll not get the best cars. Yeah. Unless you really, really want to pay or you can do a deal privately. You know, there's always the odd exception that slips through, but there's good cars come in, but the, the best cars and the, their most original cars will never leave, never leave Japan. Yeah. They'll keep them. But the price of them, my mind them is scary. It's absolutely blown. No, we haven't even started talking about twin cams yet, really. <laughs> well, the twin, the twin cams are a different story. Uh, it's, it's the price of them's gone crazy. I can remember being able to buy them not that long ago for five and six up to ten grand for a real good car. Unbelievable. And it's just out of any car of that te- that generation. You know, the rapid increase in price is, is scary. You know, they've gone up in a couple of years by what ten grand. You know, it's yeah, um, it's 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 scary, and they're not for everybody. You know, as, as you know, the, this is a whole. Different I don't like topic. them. They're, they're, they're not for. I everybody. don't like them. Hates them. Would be closer to the truth. Yeah. See, see out of the out of the box, out of the box, they're a piece of shit. They're, I'm not going to lie. They're 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 cool and they're nice. But I mean, I, I've drove standard ones, and it's it's just it's like going to the shop in your granny's car. You know, it's it's, it's nothing special. Uh, they need they need modified. They, from from my opinion of them, uh, and I love like I love the work we do on the re- the restoration stuff, and we supply for it as well. You know, that I love seeing an immaculate restored car, but I, I, I like Corollas to drive. You know, it was always that. That's how you got into them. You know, you're always into them here with the cruising. But I remember being in a car at a drift day in Nico, and I seen this pink, this fully kitted pink thing screaming the whole way around the track at Nico circuit drifting. And Nico's got like a drop at the back where, and the, the back, the front wheels you know, go up in the air when you, where you go off the edge of the track. Yeah. And I said, I need to get a run, get a run out with that guy. And um, over here, it was still the the twin cam, the different and, and the the cruise scene, which was great. Like don't get me wrong, it, it was brilliant time. But this thing, I'd never seen one go as quick as this or as sideways as this on flying around the track. And they took me out 
and the noise was just something else you know with this modified this tune 16 valve engine on throttle bodies and cams and and it's screaming you know right off the clock and us sitting me looking at the sky because he, he put the two back wheels off the edge of the track you know and, and then you come back down again you know jumping around the jumping around the track and i i was came out buzzing like you won the lottery mate i just thought this this is a this is a different level of Corolla. I said, this, this is what they're for. And uh, that was a drifting end of it. And then, <laughs> the Corolla standard, to, to me, they were never standard as far as I know, even even rallying here. They were always they were always tuned. And then the crew scene, they always had at least a jam speed on, you know, for, for a bit of noise and, and, and something. But I, I love seeing a real original bum, 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 clean bum, bum, car, no matter what it is, especially something that's been restored of that that era. But they have to be noise, they have to be modified, and they have to they have to be able to drive them properly. But just whenever I got into that one, and it was the drift, the drifting was at its peak then, really. And I'd never never been in a car like it, you know. Still to this day, it was so raw. It was just, it was just you on a steel floor, and the exhaust was that hot. My shoe was near melting to the floor, you know. It was. It was it was it was crazy and it was just a scream of the engine, you know, and the windows shaking and him just throwing it into a corner. You know, I'd been in drift cars, but I'd never been in somebody as mad in a Corolla. And I got out of the car and I said, I have to I have to get one of these. And I said, I have to get one and it has to be this this way. It has to be a Japanese new spec car. And that that was that was me hooked like to that level. But then you went into the, the next level and over the years you you matured, you know, speaking to some of the, the famous guys, you know, in the racers, they, they'll say, you'll start like that. And they all had that buzz in the 80s and the 90s. And then they'll say, you'll start gripping. You know, you'll start grip racing. And then you'll follow the N2 racing and the, you know, the race cars. And then 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 it's top level. You know, the, the Japanese N2 A86s, like they're just screaming them around the track. The speed of them around the, the speed they're getting around tracks out of weak Corollas is, is unbelievable. And then that kind of does a full circle. That brings me back to the, to the 80s and 90s of the racing days, you know, with them, which is uh, kind of the way it's gone. You know, you've kind of gone out of drifting and into the into the grip, the way of it, and the round the restorations. But now, if you twin cam out of the box, <laughs> the to put it nicely is they're a nice looking car, and I appreciate them, but they're not. They don't drive. They you don't see, drive one. My experience of my experience of twin cams was always a fairly ropey one at a cruise, different. And it was always a fairly ropey one. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I've been hit up the face by <laughs> I, gravel I think too many fucking times for these things to when go. I, when we look back like now, that. we didn't realize just how good we had it then. You know, it, compared to today's generation increasing, you know, it, it got to the stage like after after three or four circles, you know, I agree. It got boring. You know, I was never into donut. But I mean, it got it started to get boring. But what I give to hear one now going, you know, just even that today, you know, just just to hear one lighting up yeah, a junction. Yeah. But uh, yeah, even even today in particular, I think I got it a little bit. I think I think I kind of I kind of understand what it's about. They were at that stage where I suppose you could compare them now to the to the Lexus really of today. You know, young guys are running around in these noisy Lexus. And every time they get a quiet car park, they're they're throwing a few circles, which I suppose we kind of look down on it now. I think you know what are these idiots doing? But I mean, we loved it. Well, here, do you, do you know what happened? See, when we and when we mm-hmm. and, when we and uh, Andy were leaving earlier on, 
uh, a, a car of Andy, there couldn't have been more than 20, maybe 19, pulled up. Yeah. And we're like, are the twin cams still here? The twin cams right. still here? And they're like, neither. They're, they're on through there. Yeah. And you just think, these kids have probably never seen a twin cam before. They, yeah. they, they yeah. weren't around the I first got lucky. time. I mean, I got lucky even with Dad's generation. You know, when Dad's generation had that. So we got lucky. I mean, and then whenever we all got licenses and, and fucked around in cars, we were always just told, look, there's one rule, don't get caught, <laughs> you know, do it, do what you want, just don't have the cops yeah. ringing me that you're in the station, <laughs> you know, or uh, go and do it somewhere far yeah. away, but I'm not going to stop you doing it, you know, he's done worse, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'll not incriminate him, but I mean, he's he's done, he's done plenty worse, and the brothers have done worse, <laughs> and I've, I've done plenty worse, but you, you, you reach that level of maturity, and um, as the car did, you know, the car is matured, I suppose, now, and and reach that level of um, you know restorations and, and classics and yeah, yeah. Seen, changed hasn't it? And but, uh, well, I, I never forget being thrown the keys of a Corolla, mm-hmm. many lights, Jan Speed, uh, CBs, and throw and yeah. being told going ahead through a few hoops on it. And I said, like, class. That was that was me instantly sold. And then I remember uh, doing. Uh, we were doing drift chasing at Nuts Corner and there was a yeah. with Pro Drift back in the day. And I was up with uh oh, what do you call them? I was up with one of the guys from Pro Drift anyway, and we had a 180 SX mm-hmm. and we had the twin cam. I was like, I'm taking the twin cam. And I was always on the flipping <laughs> back door of the 180 SX. It was absolute dead. Like it was just something uh it just always reminded me of like of of like a uh, like when you had yeah, your first yeah. hatchback and you just never lift it off. See, so we're we're at that level here now. I mean, Japan Japan reached that state once because they had a new. Once they got the to the mid nineties, they'd wrecked enough of them. They've had their fun in them, and then they started tuning them. They started modifying them. They started building them, and then they started racing them. Obviously, to the level they're at now, we're only starting to get there. You know, we 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 had the cruise scene here, where we cut the shit of them. You know, when we had our crack and we didn't care about gravel and this and that and, and blew up engines and all sorts and then then they just turned it's as if someone flicked a switch they just got to that level where it's like no you need to look after that or you need to need to really spend money modifying one or you need to rest restore it to that mm. level but it's there's something about them i i still can't you know i I've, I've been working with them you know to this level since that day and that pink one and I, I knew that's that was me hooked like, to, to that level. You know, I said I'd never have one. You know, all the days of the cruises, I said I never have one of them. You know, they're all shit's cut out of them. Constant. You'll never get a good one. And then in Japan, then bought that one. But I mean, it's there's just something about them. I can't. I still can't explain it to this day. Um, I I also find it fascinating being able to have you know buy something yeah. the far side of the world about for a while and then ship it. If the cars could talk, I always say the same. If the cars could talk, the stories that sell, you know, cars that are 30 years old yeah. and had 20 years of their life in Japan, like, you know, the stories those cars could tell uh, would be fascinating. But now that it's a, it's oh, yeah. a different uh, different oh, yeah. scene here. Uh, it, this has been this has been amazing. We haven't actually talked much when can talk, like, so we're not too bad. It's uh, it's that's. It's not. It's not. I say, and I always say the same thing. They're just, they're just not for everybody. It's like any car. 
they've got their own fan base, and I think whether you love them or not, you can appreciate that. It's the same, you know, RS Turbo Escorts and you know other other kind of brands. You know, dealing with so many people over the years, every twin cam or Corolla or eighty six, whatever you want to call them, they're all different. There's none the same, despite them having super lights, jam speeds, and all this and that. They they all the the noise of some of them are different. The the feel of them are different, but uh, they've just they've just a culture and the just a special iconic car, especially now. You know, um, the turn heads no matter where they go. Like, I I don't know too many cars. I don't know too many cars like it that that appeals to so many different people. You know, they don't appeal to everyone. You know, what I mean, yeah. in my opinion, the like the Ford market, you kind of know the Ford market, and then. You know, your Volkswagens, you kind of know that scene. Whereas the twin cam, I mean, so, somebody who's 60 or 70 year old could pull up beside a guy who's 20, you know, and, and the two of them have a chat. Uh, and that, that's, that's just that's yeah. the strangest thing. But I kind of like the fact that they've, they've started to be appreciated uh, a bit more. I mean, the last couple of years, we've yeah, in a, in we've a put a way. lot into, into restoration work. I mean, the, the restorations here are probably some of the best in the world. Um. Outside of Japan, the best cars are here easily, but the, in my opinion, they, they still have to be drove. I'm still on that late 90s, 2000 stage where they, they're, they're drove hard and they're used. They still look great, but I mean, I, I, there's nothing better than taking it around a track and driving it, you know. Have you ever seen a really clean twin cam from here or any JDM car go back to Japan? Um. Not really. No, I've never seen a JDM car go back. That's a good. That's a good question. I've never seen a JDM car go back. I've seen eighty sixes from America, left hand drives, sold into Japan, uh, mainly for development work and for surprisingly, California cars are so clean. You know, they're zero rust. Yeah. So they've been. They've actually started buying them recently for shells. Which is it's like the two sixties and the two eighties out there. They used to always buy because they were so clean. The min, the minis was a big thing. Um, the minis in the eighties, nineties, uh, they were all exported to Japan, loads and loads of them. And the early nineties, post nine eleven market was all exported. M threes, E thirty M threes is a good one. Um, all Euro stuff, obviously, but I mean, they're they just love everything. I mean, there's some of the strangest cars you see. I mean, I remember seeing the sounds strange, but they're normal for us. Like RS focuses. The, the very first Mark One model. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've seen. Uh, I remember seeing a black Sierra Cosworth driving through Tokyo one day. I was like, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, if you've seen it back here, it's like, that's nice. But I was like, what is that car doing in, in Japan? You know, it's yeah. just couldn't, couldn't understand it. I was in Piston Heads um, a while back and I was looking for some reason at off uh, GTAs, you know, the 147s and 156s. Yeah. And I'd say out of maybe 30 cars listed, 20 of them all had just out of Japan. They must oh, be yeah. going through this massive kind of rush market. of getting yeah. alphas back over here. They're bringing them back in. Oh, there's a lot of cars have went out. Like the minis went out in the 80s and 90s, and then they come back in the 2000s. You know, a lot of minis went out there, super clean, no miles, and came and came back. They were imported again probably the last 10 years. The, um, the Porsche, yeah. the Porsche, even DC on American, 76 or something like that. Uh, bought a Porsche, was it 911? Um, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of done a full circle as well. Like, you know, car. Cars of that era, you know, are starting to, that's where you look for them, you know, on, on the E30 M3, I'd be looking towards Japan for some, for one that was imported new or, you know, imported after a couple of years old and it's done very little miles and it's sat in a nice garage 
that's the car that's the car to get but they're kind of at that stage where they, they know what they've got to and the prices are high but you probably will get a better car well here tell us about your uh your shoe car here the uh... yes the demo the demo yeah it's 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 it was a good opportunity but we always wanted to build a demo and then i got a car then for um customer phil uh, he's in the UK and then Phil rang me about six months later and said I want to swap the front of it it was a Truano pop-up light and he said I want to swap and put the 11 front on the you know the Corolla front onto it and I said kind of talked him out of it I said look Phil I'll sell you or 11 parts I said if you really wish but there's not that many Truanos and they're, they're nice and that's kind of what you initially wanted so I kind of talked him out of it. And he said, look, well, I'll tell you what it is. What I really want to do, Chris, he said, is I want to build a show car, but I don't really know how to do it. Don't, you know, I don't know how to get all the parts. I don't know what I want. I don't, yeah, is it, I want to build a car or, or own a show car, he said, that he could bring to all the shows and enjoy. And he says, do you want to be involved? And I said, well, we were planning on building a demo of some sort anyway. He said, do you want to, do you want to go in on it? And I said, we'll do our bit. And, you know, you can do the car show end of it. So he came over then. He actually flew over a couple of years before all this corona nonsense. He, um, he flew over. And we sat down and he told me some of the things he liked. And I said, look, well, if I'm building a demo car with our name on it, I said, this is, it has to be built a certain way. It has to be built to a certain standard. I said, are we on the same, are we on the same level here of what we're, go- what we're going into as partners? And he said, yeah. And then Phil, we got on really well. He was on the same level. And I said, look, if I'm gonna build one, that's this is what I'd build right here. And I showed him, showed him the picture, showed him the render, showed him the kit, the wheels, the whole lot. And we ended up knocking out a list after about 10 hours of <laughs> meeting. We knocked out a list, I said, of of what we both like and how the car should be and what he'd be happy with. Obviously, you know, he's gonna be the you know, the the don the donor car, I suppose. And uh I'll get all the parts of the carbon roof, the carbon doors, the kit, but it had to be a proper yeah. show car as Rocco will know, as Rocco will know you could build a show car but I said this thing had to be concourse mm-hmm. it had to be every nut and bolt anything that's modified on it has to be right so to narrow it down short you know we sourced everything obviously came from Japan we sourced the kit we sourced the wheels and this and that but then when it came to building it we put the CBY the white arches on and then where it comes in on the twin cam there's like a little step on the bumper mm-hmm. everything had to be you know, this is the stage where we were at uh the lines on the bumper had to be within not two mil you know it, it had to be perfect because they don't fit perfectly out of the factory then we're in the carbon doors then we're in the kits and uh, we built it with got the wheels and then phil was sort of talking then should we go 15s or 16s and I kind of had this vision in my head from a show car point of view. I said, it has to have 16 inch wheels. It's the only way, you know, everybody will tell you it's wrong, but I said, it has to be a 16 by, by 10 wheel on the back. So we narrowed all that, got the whole stance of it, got it all painted white. And then he says, you know, have you ever thought about sticker in the car? And I said, well, I want to stick in the car, but I mean, if you're going to do the shows in this car, I said, how far are we going with this? You know, he said, well, it's going to be your demo. So, we'll do whatever we have to do so i said right sticker time <laughs> and uh, the inspiration then was the the old um toms and minota racing uh from the 90s um japan touring car 
the, from the early 90s. That was the inspiration, but it had to be done to modern day standards. You know, uh, so we, we ended up getting a whole design done by a friend, uh, AWS, he's in New Zealand. Uh, he many, many call like this, just sitting on online, <laughs> chatting, chatting about this, that and the other, narrow, narrow down the design and we got the graphics work done. And then came to the show car point of view. My opinion on a show car, it it dates back to the way that we're here. You know, the, the show days here. It had to be inside, under the bonnet, outside, everything. You know, it, it opened the boot. Uh, there can't be an inch left untouched. So we decided to do the engine bay then, completely smooth the engine bay and built the 16-valve engine. And we went carbs. It had to be on OER, 1990 Japanese carbs. You know, to keep it real authentic. So the whole idea, I always wanted to build a race car, you know, as a demo car, you know, a full race car that looked like something from the 90s, but with a real modern twist, you know, like the wheels and the and the kit, stuff like that. And Phil just wanted to build a show car that was so particular that he could bring it to a show and any judge couldn't pick a fault. Yes. Uh, so we kind of teamed up the end of that level. So every part on it, we supplied and sourced and uh, just built it to that level. It's it's going to shows now, funny next week. There's a lot of shows in the UK. There's very little shows here. Mm -hmm. So every part that you see on it is something that we can either make or supply. So that was that was the key. You know, it's got a carbon roof, carbon doors, carbon bonnet, uh, all custom panels inside, carbon. But every, every detail, I mean, hopefully people can go on, you know, Whoever's listening can go on and check the check the articles and pictures of it. Like oh, the detail in the car is the detail is just it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh it's gone even beyond my expectations of of how we wanted to build a show car. It's unbelievable. No, I say I'll put a picture up on the I'll, I'll link in the show notes. It's yeah, it's it's a work of art. Like it definitely is. That that was it. I mean, you, you get the the usual that it doesn't. I mean, if it had been just my car, full demo, just me. Uh, and, not, and not a partnership, I, I would have had a full race car, basically, that would go around the track. Mm -hmm. But Phil wanted just this perfect show car end of it. We wanted to do all the styling and all the kit that we, and, and all the parts that we have and put all them on his car. But he also wanted to make it so concourse, you know, that, that there wasn't a, a boat with a scratch on it. You know, uh, even for us putting doing the fast car shoot, you know, we were putting the wheel studs on with, uh, with about 10 rolls of masking tape, you know, on... <laughs> On a bigger, you know, the, their titaniums, and we hadn't got a, a a proper head, you know, for for putting them on. Because you know, if you had to put it on with steel, you would just scratch them straight away. But you know, everything on it, I could go into so much detail. Like that car, every nut and bolt is uh, two and a half years in the making. It's stunning. It's, it, it's a it's a, it, it's like a classic poster car. It's like a like yeah. something that uh, you would have like a on a Rothmans rally calendar type thing. Yeah, well, that's it. That, that, that was the style I was going for. But then with the show, the, the show twist, you know, the real stancy show twist. Yep. And, and the two of us kind of agreed that, you know, Phil, Phil wants a show car and, and I want a demo car. And, you know, you have to mix the two of them. You know, if I was to build a race car, it obviously wouldn't be as low as that and this and stuff like that. But for maximum impact and, and exposure, that that's what the the show car end of it was for like you know it was basically taking a full race car and, and putting air on it and putting it on the ground you know it's it's going to get people talking it's going to showcase you know the carbon products you have the arches you have the wheels you can source the engines you can build yeah and that, that's that's what it's for that's incredible 
absolutely incredible. It's it's a different different level for Corollas, and it'll probably upset some of the purists. You know, I'm as I'm as pure as the come when it comes to you know I I love you know just modifying it and driving it, but I mean from a the whole idea of it is a demo. You know, it, it's to show what we can demonstrate and what we can build and uh, and a standard uh, of work. You know, and that's that carries through every every car we want to do. Like I mean, there was a gold one there, uh, UK that we um done a lot of work for as well like and it's the complete opposite you know it's a factory 84 gold nut bolt restoration and um just the park the tail side by side they're complete opposites but it kind of shows you just just what all we can supply and do well, you're, you're clearly at the, at the top of your game there that's just absolutely yeah. staggering and chris everything like i'm just i'm speechless Unbelievable. You're getting you're, you're getting uh, you're getting converted <laughs> to the old Corollas. I've never been. Well, I always love Corollas. I've never been to Japan. Love to go. This this is this is just doing everything to get me to flipping. Uh, want to get in a plane. Yeah. Um, you, you you got you got a little taste of it today. I think to be honest. I mean, we have to put a shout out and and um, do we tribute to Davy too? Like you know and absolutely. Just, uh, I think that today kind of touched home with a lot of people. Even me, I mean, I, I'm involved with it. And I know all the guys and the twin cam scene. I mean, the Scanning twin cams here get this pattern of uh, cowboy boots and, and cowboy hats and all yeah. that, checked shirts yeah. and cones on their heads running around with, with Buckfast wine. You know, it's um, they, they get that rep. Uh, but that all, there's always going to be a couple of bad eggs and, and stuff and messers like that, no matter what. But I think deep down the, the scene's maturing a little bit, uh, especially the, the Corolla scene. Like, and you kind of you kind of got that vibe today. Like. Totally, totally. We're here. So what's next on the card for you, Chris? Uh, I want to build an old car. I, I want to keep building car. Kind of got that. That's you know being involved in the Liberty Walk stuff and then building the demo. Uh, my own's pretty much building. I, I like to just drive. I want to drive my own after the year it's been. I just want to. <laughs> don't want to track the hell out of it all year and then um, maybe take it off the road next year and do a little bit more uh, I want to build I like building projects for people um, I just I'm just so particular you know the, the way that demo was yeah. built um, we've just books and books of notes you know everything sketches drawings you know everything it's it's kind of old school you know everything now yeah. people type in the computer I'm sitting with with a pen and paper and sketching this so i get an idea in my head it has to go in the notebook you know the graphic that's how everything came about you know the engine wise and stuff it was like you know no it has to pay a tribute back to the to the real 90s early 2000s it has to be carbureted you know you, there's no point it's going it's too easy to go fuel injection on the stuff i says look we'll go carbs stuff like that i want to the restoration thing is, is, is the big business you know there's trying to get as much parts rebuilt you know remade as we can We've got panels, we've got steel, you know, quarter panels, rear panels, with lights, um, what bumpers, stuff like that, all be, all being remade. Um, but there's probably gonna come. I, I just kind of worry there's gonna come a, a point where there where it stops. That's that's always the thing. You know, there's you know a little doubt and then the back of your back of your mind thinking, how far can you go with this? say the sky's the limit you know you look at the the mark three escorts and there's a, a very good market now for them recreating all the shells and bits and pieces and i just panels. think it keeps it just keeps going further i mean t- 10 years at it but i mean probably the last four or five has really really been at its peak yeah and i, d- I just get the vibe with the with the demo 
and doing all the shows in the UK and probably Europe next year. I just think it's gonna gonna go to the next level. You know what that level is? Bar <laughs> building more cars is is, is the thing. Here, Cooper made it work. But fingers crossed. All all go all go well. And it's not like Bitcoin or something. And the twin cam market fucking stops. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely blown away. We hear Chris. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you. That was just we're blown blown away. Absolutely. I probably missed about a yeah. hundred million things, but Amazing. I bore people to death. A lot of personal stories too, like you know, especially at Japan end. No, it's 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 far from bored. You know, that's like I said, if you could have seen some of the stuff you did, you know, from drifting down mountains to to doing one hundred ninety mile an hour in tunnels, like you know, it's <laughs> it's uh honestly when when we were when we were talking about doing this episode and it's going to be a86 orientated i was like oh, I, I don't give a fuck i don't care but it i mean i've been enthralled for three hours just just sitting here listening to everything you did i mean i knew you'd left and went to japan i didn't realize you did it when you were fucking 18 you just went right i'm away i, I want to go to japan i'm away it's just absolutely staggering. Look, Chris, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and best of luck with A86 World, but it goes from strength to strength. Uh, I think we will just uh, go to the ticket booth now for the bullet train because it's clear we all want to uh, do a tour of Japan after this. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, please remember to like and subscribe and do all those uh, things need to do so you can hear us again wherever we're at rms motoring we're on the rms motoring forum get us in the podcast section ask us your questions at pod at rmsmotoring.com and uh remember there's no warranty this was sold as same <laughs> <laughs>